I'd like to call this February 21st meeting of the Williamson County School Board to order. Board members, will you please record your attendance? We have 10 present, two absent. Thank you, Mr. King. At this time, I'd like to ask our deputies, Deputy Witten, Deputy Purcell, and Deputy Gorman to lead us in the, the Pledge of Allegiance, followed by a moment of silence. And we would particularly like to remember our board member, Candy Emerson, in the loss of her husband, Gene. Thank you, you may be seated. At this time, we will have what we call in our agenda items of particular public interest. This is the public comment portion of our evening. And we have 35 speakers tonight, each speaker. We've extended the time for speakers um, to um, allow each speaker who signed up to speak. So there are 35, every speaker will have one minute. Um, let me read the rules about public comment. Public comment is one of the several ways that the board hears from constituents. Other avenues include email, phone calls, and in-person meetings. Per board policy, 30 minutes will be placed on the agenda for the chair to recognize individuals to make comments. At the discretion of the chair, the time may be extended and it has tonight. School board members do not respond to public comment during a meeting. Williamson County residents and WCS employees shall have first priority. In the event time remains, the chair may allow non-residents to speak. All persons addressing the board will state his or her name, provide his or her address via the sign-up process, and provide the name of the organization or group he or she represents, if applicable, before addressing the board. The board reserves the right to limit the time of any speaker. The chair shall have, shall have the authority to terminate the remarks of any individual who is disruptive or who does not adhere to board rules. Speakers will present their comments from the podium here. The school board expects that each speaker will be courteous, modeling for our students, and we do have students here tonight, just as we do at most every other meeting, um, how one can respectfully disagree with others' views. Speakers will address their comments to the entire school board and not to one individual board member the superintendent, a staff member, or the audience. Speakers are not permitted to use vulgar language. No yelling, speaking out, or clapping is allowed as a person speaks, including while members of the board or staff are speaking. Remarks of any individual who is disruptive or does not adhere to the rules shall be terminated by the chair. Disrupting individuals will be asked to leave on first instance and will be escorted out by a deputy and no signs are allowed in the audience. 
So I'll now start, call, start calling you up in groups of three. Again, you have one minute to speak, and please be ready once your name is called. Our board vice chair, Casey Haw, please raise your hand, sir, is our timekeeper, and he will let you know when your time is up. He doesn't start your time until after you say your name and your organization, if applicable, just so you know that. So after your remarks, if you would like to be escorted out by a deputy, please approach one of the deputies and let uh, him, them know. They'll be happy to assist you, and we'll take a short break after public comment in the event that folks want to um, leave the meeting, they can do so without disrupting the meeting. So we'll go ahead and get started. Our first three speakers are Stephanie Murphy, Tajel High, and Robert Lewis. I'm Stephanie Murphy. <clears throat> Tombstone, The Passion of Christ, Black Hawk Down, all factual movies. Rave reviews, not a family movie for us. We don't skip around the controversial, negative, horrific, mental health challenging aspects for a foundational learning experience. No, we find age-appropriate resources. This curriculum is obviously full of discourse, but to pretend a subjectively nominated non-bipartisan committee spent hours more than parents reviewing this material with an appropriate conclusion is patronizing. Concluding negative feelings should just be balanced with a teacher positivity where counselors and parent meetings should be considered due to mental impact of a book screams inappropriate, period. How many times should a child be browbeaten, asked over and over again to emphatically feel hatred and anger? It's very trite to quote amazing reviews and contentious list of references without transparency. I'm here as an adult to protect my children from political influence. They're the ones I've spent thousands of hours in counseling, in bed comforting their night terrors, and wiping tears away because their emotional intelligence is exposed to adult problems. Before our next speaker speaks, I would like to ask everybody in the audience and, and up here to put your phones on silent. There are, some, there are some phones that are dinging and I feel like the speakers might think that's uh, their signal to stop speaking. Our next speaker, speaker is Tajel High. Tajel High with One Wilco. It is hard to understand how some members of our community can accept a black child being told by a principal that she has to accept racism as normal, get thicker skin, or just ignore people, then turn around and want the state to pass laws to protect white children from feeling uncomfortable when being taught about the civil rights movement. Our history is uncomfortable. Not talking about it and not learning about it does not change it. We will continue to live under the shadow of our collective past if we pick a path forward that tries to erase history. We cannot provide excellence in education if we erase certain perspectives by pulling books out of our curriculum and school libraries. Instead, we should focus on supporting the teachers and educators and giving them the tools they need to turn discomfort into learning and empathy. We have watched a long curriculum review process unfold. There's been detailed care given to every complaint. Let's all take some deep breaths, gather ourselves, and let the process work. Please vote to, tonight to approve the review committee's comprehensive, transparent, and well-informed recommendation. Thank you. Our next speaker is Robert Lewis. Hi, board. Robert Lewis, uh, one Wilco. 
Uh, it is also hard to understand why some think my son, who is black, while on his way to have his adoption finalized at our local courthouse, should have to be carried across a floor that contains a flag of war in an effort that sought to protect the right to treat him as livestock. But a white child whose parents don't know how to talk about race can't be exposed to accurate history? Some people say that schools should stick to the three R's, but what about history? Shouldn't we read history? And don't historians work to ensure that our nation's historical record reflects the truth as closely as possible? Please keep our schools competitive and on track so that our children can compete nationally and internationally. Don't deny our children a first-rate education because another parent is uncomfortable having a conversation with their child about complex topics. There is a way forward, but it's not to strip our curriculum, our libraries, or our students' rights to a first-rate education. Please vote to approve the Review Committee's exhaustive, transparent, well-informed recommendation. Thank you. Our next speakers are Justin Canoe, Angela Mosley, and Molly Volker. Hi. Uh, in Ezekiel 23.20, they talk about lusting after her lovers whose genitals were like those of donkeys. In the book of Genesis, Lot's own daughters get him drunk and have intercourse with him without his knowledge. I don't read these to offend. I just want to point out, despite all this talk about censorship and banning books, that is a book many of you bring your children to hear about every Sunday because you trust your pastors to guide you through it. I'd ask you trust our teachers also, and more importantly, trust our kids shielding them from the truth by censoring books like Ruby Bridges and MLK's March on Washington will not protect them. It will only hurt them and keep them from a real understanding of the world around them. And in the bigger picture, I hope everyone realizes this is a coordinated attack on our public schools designed to sow distrust while Governor Lee spearheads an effort to steer our public tax dollars to privately run charter schools Tennessee will soon be flooded with even as local school boards vote against them. Rutherford County was already overruled. It will happen here too. I hope you'll speak up. Let's let teachers teach. Stop attacking our public schools, which are the lifeblood of this country and this community. Thank you. Our next speaker is Angela Mosley. Good evening. I am a Winston County teacher and parent of children in our district. Teachers have spent a considerable amount of time reviewing and ultimately recommending a curriculum that we still believe provides the high quality, riching, meaningful learning experiences for our students, a curriculum you all approved. It is disheartening that there are groups of people who offer complaints with no real solutions and are exploiting our schools as their political playgrounds. Their tactics have pit parents against teachers and caused extra hardships for our schools. When teachers made our decisions on curriculum, we had one agenda in mind, to provide the best quality resources for our students. Please acknowledge and trust the efforts of our teachers, district leadership, and all those who worked hard to go into this comprehensive curriculum review and vote to approve the committee's recommendations. I'm asking you to listen to reason and govern with wisdom so our schools can continue the important work of providing a quality education for our whole community. Thank Time. you. Our next speaker is Molly Volker. Hi, 
My name is Molly Volker, and I am a senior at Franklin High School and the president of the Franklin High School Young Democrats. I'm here today to speak about the recent efforts across our state to remove certain literary works from school curriculums and libraries. Since I was a little girl, I have loved reading. From nonfiction to high fantasy, reading relieved the claustrophobia of my narrow perspective, opening up my mind to the greater world and allowing me to understand my place in it. Reading allowed me to understand that my experience was not the only one, and this understanding allowed me to grow into a person who cares about those with experiences different from mine, a person who is aware of the ways in which our world is not a fair place, and the ways in which I have the power to use my voice and my actions to hopefully make it a fairer one. Shielding today's youth from certain perspectives or injustices is not going to make the problems go away or prepare anyone to face them in the real world. It is my hope that this preparation can come through education, that we can create a world where we all look at one another with empathy, where we are cognizant of the injustice that exists and face it united. But censoring certain perspectives or shielding our youth from reality. Time. Our next speakers are Alana Truss, Mira Scanapicio, and Elliot Atwood. Hi, I'm Alana Truss. I'm here representing One Wilco. I'm both a WCS parent and also a clinical psychologist serving many families in this community. And I'm deeply concerned about the current book banning efforts, which some believe serve to protect our children from discomfort. Unfortunately, the discomfort that book banning reduces is the very discomfort that serves to deepen students' understanding of our past and present and inspires them to make our community a better place, one that is supportive of all of its members. In protecting children from this discomfort, we're greatly underestimating their ability to channel this discomfort into positive change. These book bans guarantee a different kind of discomfort for many of our students, a discomfort about being oneself, be that black, Jewish, gay, the child of two dads, or any number of other non-commutable factors. I choose to believe that the majority of our county desires a curriculum that promotes a safe and healthy environment for all. The results of the extremely thorough complaint review process support this belief. Please vote to approve the committee's recommendations this evening. Thank you. Mira. Hi, my name is Mira Scanapieco. I'm a junior at Franklin High School. I'm here today to discuss the growing interest in removing works of literature with sensitive topics from Williamson County Schools. I grew up in Williamson County and have experienced firsthand the importance of diverse and controversial literature in our schools. From an early age, I was introduced to real-world concepts, including those surrounding diversity, mental health, human rights, science, and politics. Learning about these topics in school gave me a broader perspective, as well as gave me the ability to formulate my own views and opinions. Sheltering today's youth from these important issues doesn't make them disappear. If anything, we are opening the door to a generation of ignorant and oblivious individuals who are unable to face the realities of today. After all, would you rather your children learn about sensitive topics in a safe classroom environment or from tomorrow's next viral TikTok? Thank you. Elliot Atwood. My name is Elliot Atwood and I'm a junior at Franklin High School. I've been in the school district since kindergarten and overall my experience here has been one of encouragement of, and openness to learning. Unfortunately, I now fear that the students who follow me may not have the same experience. Throughout my time in Williamson County, if there was ever a subject I wanted to learn about, all I had to do was ask. I was surrounded by information from countless sources and if I ever needed help finding anything specific, there was always someone to help. This has been the case for students of the past few generations. It's been the case for my grandparents, it's been the case for my parents, and now it was the case for me. 
And in order to maintain this ideal of education, it is vital that we protect the plethora of information we offer to students. When we restrict learning materials, we are, such as when we ban books, we are restricting learning as a whole. No longer are students able to think for themselves, and no longer are students able to learn how to think at all. If we are, if we are restricting information, we are restricting learning. And so as such, I ask you, as educators, as parents, as members of our beautiful community, I hope that you consider the, that potential outcome as you make decisions for our future students. Thank you for your time. Thank you, speakers. Our next speakers are Angie Colvin, Jennifer Cortez, and Bryn Sierra. Excuse me just a minute, speakers. Um, Avery, did I skip you? Avery? Okay. Um, would you, you want to go ahead and come up? I'm sorry, I didn't intend to skip you. Thank you, folks. Hello, my name is Avery Cloud. I'm a sophomore at Franklin High School and I'm a member of the Glisten Shine team. I'm here to speak about the recent bannings of books and censorship of education in our schools. I've always loved to learn from random facts to how machines work. Learning has always helped me understand the way the world works. If we take away education on things such as racism, anti-Semitism, the experiences of women, and the LGBTQI community, students lose understanding and comfort. Censorship and education is harmful to students who need to learn information about their history and it is not worth losing and it is not worth losing just because it makes certain groups feel more comfortable um, sheltering students from history because it is intense isolates and affect affected students and their experiences studies have shown that students who have higher access to more inclusive curriculum have higher academic achievement educational aspirations lower levels of depression and anxiety and higher levels of self-esteem in the words of Lori Hulse Anderson the author of speak censorship is a child of fear and the father of ignorance banning books. Our next speaker is Angie Colvin. I'm Angie Colvin. I'm a parent of three in Williamson County Schools. Um, just to clarify, I am here about the wit and wisdom curriculum. I, I'm not interested in banning books. I'm not interested in my kids never learning these topics. I'm interested in my kids learning these topics at an age appropriate time in their life, which this curriculum does not fulfill that at all. Um, just to kind of reiterate, um, we've had children who've had negative consequences because of participating in this curriculum. We've had parents that have complained. I've talked to numerous teachers and administrators that have a problem with the curriculum but are too afraid to speak up. So just to give you a better picture of this, this is an excerpt from an email that a WCS second grade teacher sent to Dave Allen. She said, my class went remote this past year during module three. On one of these days, we were scheduled for a Socratic seminar. I almost changed the plan for the day as I was not only worried about how a Socratic seminar would run on Zoom, but I was also worried about the content being listened to by the families while the students were at home. I don't care if you like the curriculum or not. If we have teachers that are afraid for the families to hear what their, parent, their kids are learning, that is a problem. This curriculum has not been appropriately vetted before it was adopted. The reconsideration um, committee didn't consider all of it. Jennifer Cortez. 
Hi, I'm Jennifer Cortez here with One Wilco. It's hard for me to understand how anyone who claims to love our country and our community could continually and persistently undermine the efforts of our local public schools and all the effort that goes into making them excellent. The word public means of concerning the whole, the people as a whole, done, perceived, or existing in open view. Both of these things apply to our schools here in Williamson County. Our schools concern our whole community. The policies and processes exist in open view. This whole process of book reviews has been done in the open and painstakingly. Just because someone doesn't get their way doesn't mean the process doesn't work or that all viewpoints haven't been considered. Please acknowledge that complaints have been considered, heard, and acted on, and vote to approve the review committee's recommendation to keep discussions about American heroes like Ruby Bridges in our second grade classrooms. Thank you. Bryn Sierra. Hi, Bryn Sierra with One Wilco. <clears throat> I'm a former Williamson County fourth grade teacher with graduate degrees in curriculum and instructional design, as well as information science, certified as a school library media specialist. Access to a variety of books and the thoughtful curriculum surrounding them are fundamental to our education system. In a district of tens of thousands of parents, a very small few have submitted complaints. Those complaints have been exhaustively considered and addressed. Thank you. Let's not forget the other tens of thousands of parents in support of this curriculum. Furthermore, you have an opportunity, an important opportunity here to lead the way in amplifying the marginalized voices of those whose stories are constantly erased. You don't have to like the review, but neither do you nor the complainants get to strong arm this process claiming it's been unfair or ill-informed. Overriding long-standing policies just because you want a different outcome is an egregious abuse of power. Families of, colors and their, uh, of color and their allies, we are all watching to see how Williamson County lives up to its stated mission to provide all students with a quality education. Thank you. Our next three speakers are Aaron Crawford, Kimberly Calicote, and Michael Miller. Hi, I'm Aaron Crawford. I'm mother of two boys in the Page community. I'm also a first-time candidate for Williamson County Commission. I'm standing in front of you today out from behind the anonymity of my regular emails because I find it hard to believe that we're discussing book bans right now in the year 2022 and books by and about our collective American civil rights heroes. When my company relocated us to the area in 2015, I researched, visited, and chose beautiful and welcoming Williamson County to buy a home and raise my boys, and like many families, largely because of these excellent public schools. I never even considered that their curriculum and libraries could be restricted in a way that prevents them from learning the fundamental building blocks of our true American history, including their own black heritage. I never even considered that their curriculum and libraries could be restricted in a way that prevents them from learning about entire faith communities and other identity groups. I never even considered that their curriculum and libraries could be restricted in a way that prevents them from being informed, kind hearted and modern citizens when they graduate and leave our Williamson County bubble. Please support our local experts, value them, and vote to approve the review committee's recommendation and keep historically accurate and meaningful discussions Time. in our classrooms. Time. Thank you. Our next speaker is Kim Kimberly Calcote. I'm at a loss at this point to understand how it took the Reconsideration Committee seven months of review and hours of parent testimony and they still couldn't grasp our concerns. These committee members looked at the curriculum as a peer review study failing to understand its impact on our children. You had teachers before we even began with Witten Wisdom in 2020 telling the administration they wouldn't teach certain portions of this curriculum. As parents' concerns came in via email, and there were many despite what the administration told you, teachers echoed the sentiments of parents' concerns. One book was removed in 2020, another book is being removed according to the recommendation 
recommendation, multiple books are recommended to have counselors on standby or classes for parents to understand how to deal with the emotional fallout, pages are recommended to be skipped, and you are removing books from children's hands for an ELA curriculum. I'm asking you to do what the Reconsideration Committee wouldn't do. Make a motion to utilize the alternatives so that all of our children can learn together and the integrity of the curriculum can be restored as much as possible for our children. So that I as a parent am not put between a rock and a hard place, deciding between an inappropriate curriculum and the well-being of my child with an IEP who needs to learn with his peers. Michael Miller. We good? Okay. Please go ahead, sorry. Thank you. Thank you to the superintendent, the teachers and staff of WCS. We appreciate you. Out of over 20,000 elementary students, only four appeals were received from WCS parents in the 15 days after the review committee released their findings. The policy was clear. All parents had the same ample time to respond. Effectively, none of us took issue with the committee's recommendations. It's time to listen to your constituents, stop the delays, and vote to accept the unbiased recommendations. The discomfort of few does not warrant taking away the, ch the education of my children. Books welcome the reader into a new perspective and afford precious moments of real connection between parents and their children. Just as we celebrate children's joys with smiles, we must welcome their more painful emotions in response to the books they read, be it discussed for a cruel historical event or empathy for a character enduring a hardship. Parents need to validate and celebrate these emotions and provide context and guidance to help process them. Life doesn't have an opt-out clause. Rise to the challenge and guide your children as they experience these beautiful range of complex emotions. Time. Thank you. Next speaker, Sharon Kidder, Kurt Kosak, and Bonnie Young. Hello, I'm Shannon Kidder. Um, I have uh, four kids and I do not represent an organization and none of my complaints have to do with CRT. Um, the recommendations from the committee were a great start and I appreciate them, but it's not nearly enough. I'm rightfully concerned about the amount of death, violence, and graphic material my youngest children will be forced to take in thanks to wit and wisdom. Williamson County Schools clearly agrees with many of the issues brought forward, so I can't be too far off base. What goes in will come out, and I don't believe the extent of negative material recommended to remain is healthy for our children, for our youngest children. I'm thankful for the, the opt-out, but that has left my fifth grader without a teacher and classmates in ELA for six weeks for just one book this year. If I were to let her miss more than five days, y'all will be sending me a letter to uh, meet with a truancy officer. We've always tailored education to the ages of our children. Why are we stopping now? I challenge you to be transparent and take every excerpt that is left, send it to every parent, and let, ask them if they object. Most parents don't know what their children are reading or learning about. And then you'll get an unbiased data of how many parents actually are concerned about this. Thank you. I apologize for the misrepresentation of your name. Um, Kurt Kosak, please. Hello, Kurt Kosak. I live in Brent Haven. I'm not here to talk about books, but I love to read. Um, I am introducing myself to the board because I'm going to be running for House District uh, 61, House Seat District 61. I've been a high school teacher for 17 years in Summit 
High School for the last four years. Um, Sarah Lamb knows me very well. I've lived in Brentwood since 1998. My sons went to Brentwood schools. They're doing great now. Thank you, Williamson County, for an excellent education. I've left Ms. Glenn several of my flyers. Um, my platform is on there. Three, six, and seven are my educational planks. My campaign slogan is defending our Constitution. So if you hear that slogan between now and November, that's me. Thank you. Our next speaker is Bonnie Young. Hi, I'm Bonnie Young. I'm a Southern Baptist preacher's daughter. I have a master's degree in education and I have two children in these schools. 0.02% of elementary kids' parents shouldn't be allowed to censor basic biology and history books, including an age-appropriate book about seahorses that my daughter was excited to read about, all because of how they feel the way science and history should be, rather than how they actually are. What happened to facts, not feelings? If you allow these parents to overrule the majority of parents like me who trust the highly educated and trained professionals that have given us some of the best schools in the state, then you will create a slippery slope for us all to lose our freedoms. I mean, what's next? Flat earth? No pledge of allegiance? I leave you with these verses. Proverbs 18, 2 through 3, Proverbs 29, 8 through 9, and Ecclesiastes 10, 1 through 3. Thank you so much. Good night. Our next speakers are Sarah Lapping, Iman Ojiwang, and Ashley Webster. Can we? We'll get we'll get our tech folks to assist, please. Thank you. Good evening, Sarah Lapping. Uh, thank you all so much. When um, my daughter, my eldest, who graduated from Franklin High School in 2020, came home and mentioned to me that she had come across Mein Kampf in her school library, I, um, as a Jew who grew up with half the grandparents in my community, you know, having tattooed numbers on their arms, could have, you know, just lost it, but actually I felt more thankful than dismayed because I told her, and I, and I responded to her, I told her the same thing that I had said when she mentioned the, how much she was bothered by damaging messaging and advertising. I told her this is free speech and this is both the, um, the challenge and the privilege of living in a society that values it. Horace Mann, who was the father, you know, generally recognized as the father of American education and really instituted public education in our country, um, is Time, Miss Lapping. Time. <laughs> our next speaker is Amon Ojiwang. I don't. I'm on. Okay. Um, Ashley Webster, please.
When parents send their children to a public school, they're entrusting their children's formal school-based education to a publicly funded system that serves the general public, not a vocal minority. Williamson County's public schools are among the very best in the state. That's why my family moved from East Nashville to Franklin in 1998. Our kids attended the schools, my husband attended these schools. They were excellent then and they're excellent now. There are 48,000 students in WCS, but a vocal minority of 37 people is underestimating the children who grew up, grow up in one of the most privileged counties in the state. Not only are these children capable of reading and understanding the books in wit and wisdom, they also already have real world knowledge of concepts like unequal and unfair. Last year, these 37 complainants asked for a review of the curriculum. They were granted a thorough review by a committee of professionals, and now nine of them are back here today with the same complaints because they don't like the answer they got. I would ask you to use this line from a popular parenting program called Time. One, Two, Three Magic. You Time. simply say, ask and answer. Our next speaker is, I'm sorry, was someone speaking out? Pardon? Oh, okay. Okay, thanks. I, would, I couldn't hear. All right, next is, um, again, please silence your cell phones. Um, they're, they're disruptive as we're trying to um, manage both the speakers and the audience. Um, Amy Welty is our next speaker, and let me call up the next three speakers. Amy Welty, Benton McDonough, and Lori Wagner. Thank you. My name is Amy Welty and I'm the parent of a WCS student. I'm here to register my support for our teachers and curriculum. I'm here to ask the board to invest more in public schools, not less. Recruit and retain and reward good teachers before it's too late. Do not sabotage our public schools in favor of Bill Lee's vouchers or charter schools. Please put teachers and students first. The vast majority of parents are tired of this ridiculousness that we're hearing tonight. Tired of the amount of time already spent on a small but vocal minority. For context, um, under 50 parents filed the initial challenge to the curriculum in a school district with over 40,000 students. Most of us are within the 40 yard lines and are tired of the extremism in every facet of life, but especially our schools. Our schools are an integral part of our community and the foundation of our children's educational future. We want them to learn more, not less. We value the teachers and staff and administrators who devote themselves every day to the education and safety of our children. We appreciate you serving on the board and trust that you'll make decisions that protect and enrich our school district and represent the majority Time. of parents, not the minority. Our next speaker is Benton McDonough. Thank you, members of the board. Uh, my name is Benton McDonough, and I'm the uh, father of a uh, first grader at Kenrose Elementary. Someone recently suggested that we update the cliche to say, those who can teach while those who can't meddle. That seems like an appropriate theme for tonight's discussion on wit and wisdom. It was just three months ago that this very board was here discussing the rescinding of the uh, mask mandate, causing one board member to say, that fewer than 100 infections was statistically zero. Yet here we are tonight discussing and devoting many uh, resources and time to discussing the concerns of four elementary age parents. These 
These complaints have all been addressed through the process and policy adopted by the board, as is evident in the report that was provided to the board members tonight. Our families, teachers, staff, and students all deserve better, and please approve the committee's recommendation tonight. Thank you very much. Our next speakers are um, Lori. Okay, go ahead and then I'll call up the next okay, group. Problem. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Lori Wagner. Regarding the reconsideration committee, the concerns were not regarding just books, but also the teacher's manual telling them how to teach and at what age these materials are taught. The committee's review of the concerning material took seven months to complete and resulted in not much. Ironically, one of the committee's evaluation criteria was, does it support the curriculum? The curriculum we have concerns with. The curriculum that failed Tennessee standards twice, but was still implemented. You are asking the wrong questions, solving the wrong problems. We need leaders who will listen to their constituents and will lead by example. Parents are upset and frustrated. We don't feel like our concerns matter. Maybe because there was no urgency in the reconsideration project process and kids are three-fourths of the way through the year. Maybe because parents come here to express frustration and are buried under procedure and then told to go to teachers and principals who in turn tell us they can't do anything without school board permission. What I've learned so far through my personal experience is that there is an agenda, an agenda that you all don't want disrupted. Please look at the full picture and vote to reject the results. Time. Thank you. Our next speakers are Jeff Bork, Hunter Brown, and Jennifer Haley. Mr. Vart, I'm sorry. There you go. Okay, thanks. Microphone's on. Yeah. I'm Jeff Burke. I'm the father of three kids in our county, and I'm coming because, um, like you, I'm concerned. I'm a little off topic tonight, but I'm concerned about our teachers. Um, thank you so much last month for passing the raise for our teachers. Um, thank you again on Thursday night for continuing to consider um, raising pay for staff and for teachers. But what I also want to ask tonight is that we are concerned about the protection of our teachers as well. Retaining them financially, you know, with, me, with those means is one thing. The other side of it is, as I saw on your slide from Thursday night, they're feeling scrutinized by our community. They're not feeling community support. And so whatever you can do in the future in any decisions that you make, I ask that you consider the impact that it will make on our teachers first. They're exhausted. I can't imagine, if I'm exhausted after two years of this pandemic, I can't imagine what the teachers Time. are feeling. So, Time. thank you. Hunter Brown. My name is Hunter Brown. I speak as an individual and a taxpayer father of four boys and four grandchildren. Um, I have a document that I'd like to submit. My comments in poll, 50 seconds isn't going to cut it. Um, but I think one of the problems that 4403 is specifically designed uh, to address individual issues, and it never contemplated a large-scale revolt such as we've seen. Uh, so I think there's a policy issue there. Uh, I also think that there was a fundamental flaw of method. Um, uh, 
despite uh, the, the the policy is designed to be particularized, and it is it is at a granular level, but that doesn't work when the problem is generalized. And I guess despite hours of parent testimony, the committee for the 4403 committee failed to understand the larger context of the curriculum, the curriculum rife with negative emotion, dark imagery, heavy subject matter, age inappropriate topics. And in order to understand Time. the objections. Mr. Brown, do you have something to leave with us? Oh, I do. Okay, you can leave it at this table here. Thank you. I'm sorry, which table? There, Mr. Oh, Mr. Tim, right there. Our next speaker is Jennifer Halley. Haley? I um, don't believe she's here. We'll move to the next three speakers. Jen Baker, Marissa Diplock, and Robin Steenman. Hi. So I am the short one. Okay. So it may have been a while, but I would guess all of you have done a dot-to-dot -dot picture. That's what this review of Wit and Wisdom was. Each of the complaints from the parents that had a child that were upset by these books and the accompanying lesson is a dot. As parents and teachers express concern to their principals, admin, and school board members, each of those is a dot. Other concerned citizens have reviewed the books and lesson plans, come to similar conclusions, and reached out. Some of them were brave enough to step forward and present their concerns to the 4403 committee. More dots. The fact that this curriculum was never approved by the state was only available because of a waiver is a dot, or at least it should have been. The recommendation of the committee to keep problematic books in use but to put a counselor on standby is a dot. Each of these dots were connected to reveal a picture of a curriculum that is not fit to be used in Williamson County Schools, yet it remains. In a time that we know that more students than ever are struggling mentally, how does it make sense to utilize books and talking points that would cause them further distress? So much so that counselors are required in order to teach these books. Time. Marissa Diplock. Marissa, I'm sorry. Let me restart. There you go. Hi, my name is Marissa. Um, I'm what some people presume to be a small minority, but I'm also a small minority that spent hours upon hours reading 500-page-plus teacher's manuals, not just books, teacher's manuals. And I can tell you that it's not all what you think it is. And I'm, I'm presuming that you'll have read my appeal already, so I'll just highlight a couple of things. I want to stress that to every God-fearing person listening to this, that there are dire consequences for turning a blind eye to this curriculum. This module that re um, refers to Sorry Messenger in the third grade is all about how people learn about space. That's what it's supposed to be about. The author's main purpose of the book that is used in this curriculum is how to question tradition. It's not about space. The teacher's manual quotes it. You have children going in and hearing day after day about how the Catholic Church was bad to um, Galileo. Now, I admit, you cannot tell Galileo's story without time. Our next speaker is Robin Steenman. Robin Steenman. Ms. Glenn, did she check in? Okay, thank you. Our next three speakers, I'll call everybody up. We've got four more speakers. Fred Wilhelm, Natalie Showalter, 
Patricia Lucente and Emily Grimsley. Hi, I'm Fred Wilhelm and I have two children attending Williamson County Schools. I'm here speaking to you tonight in support of our school administrators and teachers and of their current curriculum. My boys have taken wit and wisdom and are thriving. We're happy with the schools. Most of us moved here for the schools and we trust the professionals at the school with developing programs and curriculum. The only agenda that I can see of the school is to help our kids achieve. That's their expertise and the incredible success our students have tell us that they know what they're doing. So please let them do it. Learning may make you uncomfortable sometimes. That's true at any age. In fact, I would say if you're not a little uncomfortable and your thinking is not being challenged, then you're probably not learning. I can think of no situation where hiding truth, denying facts, or limiting access to books and educational materials benefit our student body or our society. Thank you. Our next speaker is Natalie Showalter. I'm Natalie Showalter. I want to recognize the time that has been given by this board, the school system, and the parts and the parents in the community to address the wit and wisdom curriculum. This reconciliation process seemed problematic from the start. The parents were not informed as to why the parent had expressed concerns about the curriculum was not placed on the reconciliation committee. There had been an expressed concern about having controversial material being taught in the 21-22 school year, yet it took the committee from the end of June until January to review the concerns. With that schedule, there was not time to change out aspects of the third module, which is the most con controversial module. With that drawn-out review, it did not give adequate, adequate time to conduct an open appeal process. In the work session, it was implied that the appeal applicants had an opportunity to discuss their appeal to the Reconciliation Committee. I know at least three of the nine appeal applicants were not asked to discuss their concerns. There was not a rationale given to as why the Reconciliation members felt that the context was appropriate that included cognitive development appropriateness, terminology concerns, text emphasized, etc. We the parents are left again feeling as if we... Time. Patricia Lucente. Hi, Trisha Lucente, Williamson County parent. The Witten Wisdom curriculum is a failed curriculum lacking key fundamentals to teach reading and writing and is riddled with age inappropriate material. History should be taught in a non-biased way at an age appropriate manner and in history, not in English language arts. Books don't need to be banned, but under no circumstances should a school counselor need to be notified before a book is read in a classroom. Five, six, seven year olds don't need to feel uncomfortable. This board budgeted almost $800,000 for mental health intervention, and I'd like to ask you if you're actually planning to solve a problem or, with those funds, or if you're simply mitigating a problem that you participated in creating. Also, there is a uh, code of ethics, and we are watching you as you run for re-election. We're watching your social media. Please try to stick to that. Thank you. Our final speaker for this evening is Emily Grimsley. Good evening, my name is Emily Grimsley and I have two kids um, in the Williamson County School District. In light of the recent efforts across our state to restrict access to information and stories, I wanted to share my experience with my second grade son. 
His class recently studied the civil rights movement. He was so engaged with the stories of the heroes of the movement, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, and Ruby Bridges, among others. He asked questions full of compassion that led to important conversations. At one point, I mentioned to him that there were people who thought kids his age shouldn't study these things. He stopped, looked at me, and responded, what? Why? It happened. Simple as that. He's right. Kids deserve to know what happened so they can continue to make sense of the world as they work to make it a better place. I'm not trying to imply that these conversations are easy, but since when has easy been the goal of education? Easy doesn't ask anyone to learn or grow. We need to continue to share these difficult stories and conversations so we can learn about each other and our world, the world we all share. Our kids deserve it. They can handle it. Thank you. Ma'am. May I, ask, um, may I ask you to approach the podium? May I talk to you for a second? That was actually our next to last speaker. We have one additional speaker and um, one minute, please. Hi. Thank you. Um, I want to say I appreciate all the concerns that are being expressed. Ma'am, ma excuse me. Please state your name oh, and then Carolyn we'll start. Brown. And I'm with Moms for Liberty. Um, I want to say I appreciate all the concerns being expressed by the community. Clearly, we all want the same thing, which is to encourage learning for our kids. In the work session, the board was surprised to hear that teachers are not feeling appreciated by the community. A board member asked if moving, removing wit and wisdom would help de-escalate the atmosphere. Dr. Golden said no. There is tension throughout the nation and it has nothing to do with the actions taken with Williamson County School System. Well, I acknowledge that the pair, people are frustrated. There's a lack of transparency, no dialogue, and it's a very authoritative approach that's being taken uh, concerning different people's differing opinions. The board meeting in and of itself uh, set up, uh, was, is set up to prevent dialogue. I have gone to other meetings where there's an exchange of information where the public learns the constraints that face Time. you. Folks, that concludes our public comment portion of this meeting and we're going to take a five minute break here so that people who want to leave uh, can leave at this time. So we will reconvene at 726.
We're ready to restart our meeting. If everyone would please be seated. Board members. Our next item on the agenda is the the approval of tonight's agenda. Motion to approve, motion to approve by Mr. Welch. Is there a second? second? Second by Mr. Mitchell. Any discussion? I see no one wanting to proceed with discussion. Board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, zero no. Thank you, board members. The next item is approval of the consent agenda. Is there a motion to approve? So moved. Mr. Mitchell makes the motion. Is there a second? Second. Mr. Wimberly seconds. Is there any discussion? If there's no discussion, board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, zero no. Thank you, board members. With that vote, you have approved the following items. You've approved the January 18th, 2022 school board meeting minutes. You've approved the acceptable use and internet safety agreement for students and staff, and that is an annual agenda item. And you've also approved the recommendation for field trip requests, field trip fee requests. Thank you. Our next item is communications to the board, and we'll open that with the superintendent's report. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair, and uh, thank you, board members, for your work. Uh, and as, as we uh, often say, just every, every time we go through this process, it just remind us, reminds us of how important it is uh, for the work you're doing and the work that uh, individuals do in, in running for public office in our country. Uh, as a quick reminder of what we talked about at the board work session, um, a month ago, we talked about uh, library books, and we had some presentations from our from our library professionals about the process they go through. And we committed to you at that time that we would talk about human resources at this past work session, and we did that. Uh, and Vicki Hall, our Assistant Superintendent for Human Resources, gave you a very detailed uh, description of a lot of data uh, related to our staffing, both with teachers and with uh, support staff. We talked about staffing, we talked about payroll, uh, and we of course mentioned the county government decision through the county commission to approve a mid-year pay raise, which in my experience, a little over 15 years here with, with WCS is unprecedented. Uh, and I want to thank you all for the work you did last month with that, and especially for the county commission this month in approving that. Uh, and I want to specifically mention that county government approved the pay increase mid-year for our staff plus a pay increase for county government staff recognizing the substantial change in market conditions in our community in the middle of the year. And what made that possible on the fiscal side was uh, an increase in sales tax revenues in the first part of the year beyond what we had budgeted uh, back during our budget time last year. So this was a community effort. Uh, uh, it was not simply the county commission it was our entire community supporting 
our community that made this possible uh, to give this uh, this pay raise in the middle of the of the budget year I do strongly encourage you to go back and look at that PowerPoint presentation uh, from Miss Hall we have it posted on our website with our work session uh, meeting from from this from this month there is a lot of detail that we could not really delve into the granular elements of it uh, during during the work session even though we had a discussion that was that was uh, if I'm not mistaken well over an hour long uh, so every, I really do think there's a lot of wisdom in double checking that we are working on some aspects of that presentation to prepare for next month when we will be presenting our budget to you as part of that uh, we, we we showed you a draft pay chart for our teachers that we are discussing with the Williamson County Education Association as part of our state process uh, for 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 proposing uh, pay issues to you and and um, all our working condition discussions uh, with with our WCEA leadership so be prepared for that uh, as it comes next month uh, we also discussed at our work session the possibility of, uh, of surveying our teachers to get an idea of some some data points on some of the discussion we had in the latter portion of that human resources presentation uh, to find out how we can help our teachers as a community uh, grow it's been a tough couple of years it's been a national issue it's been a state issue it has been a local issue it covers the gamut uh, and uh, we hear from our teachers through the Williamson County Education Association through individual teachers um, but based on the discussion that you all had we are working on finding a way to get good objective information and data from our individual teachers and staff members so that we can grow and how we serve them as they are serving our students and we are proud of the work we do oh wow we are proud of the work we do uh, one particular data point that we're excited about is that we have 71 National Merit Scholars this year. We mentioned a couple of months ago that we had 72 National Merit semifinalists, 71 finalists now, uh, and statistically speaking across the, the nation, about 90% or so of the semifinalists become finalists. Uh, and, and so we're so proud of our folks one key point I want to mention is if we've done our review correctly we exceed our highest number ever of National Merit finalists by 19 this year this is <laughs> Madam Chair I know we don't allow applause but but <laughs> thank you for that I, I have to thank you for that the National Merit process is a national competition there are limited numbers every year of students who receive the award it is an indicator of how we compete nationally I am convinced based on the data we've seen that one of the reasons we had such a significant jump this year is because we found ways to stay in school uh, even through this process and I want to thank our leadership staff principals teachers parents everyone for finding ways to fight through those months that we've put behind us hopefully as we remain cautiously optimistic on on where we are so proud of those students that's money in the pocket uh, for parents because that means scholarships for them for their for their children as they move on to the next level within our within our goals our board goals related to our strategic plan 
we focus on the gamut serve students with disabilities, uh, find opportunities for students to, to engage in, in a lot of career, college and career technical programs, uh, AP classes. We really do work hard on finding ways to provide a supportive environment to challenge all our students. Uh, and that vision statement is something we live by, so thank you for that. I mentioned the 71 National Merit finalist because one of our traditions during the superintendent's report is that we do share those national awards for our students and faculty and staff, state championships, et cetera, for our students and faculty and staff. And Carol Birdsong is waiting to share a large number of celebrations for this month. Carol? Mr. Golden, you set that up just perfectly. Thank you. At first, I thought you were stealing my thunder, but I think it's just a nice lead-in. So, it is the fourth consecutive year that we have had more than 50 National Merit finalists. This year, we have 71, a district record. And as you like to say, Mr. Golden, it starts at the elementary grades, and those teachers build that foundation, and it, we just keep building on it. So. This is really a celebration for all of the teachers and uh, of all of these students and these students. So let's get started. We are going to start at Brentwood High School. Max Alino, Frankie Bailey, Luke Biddle, Sally Cho, Edith Corey, Seth Creech, Will Dawson, Jack Hudson, Andrew Lee, Campbell McClendon, Marin McKean, Zoe Oldham, Russell Overton, Alice Chu, Haranish Sethu, Sienna Shepard, Noah True, Alexander Wilson, Rena Shu, Eric Youngberg, and Jason Jung, all from Brentwood High School. Now let's go to Centennial High School. Abina Dixit, Preston Ketsamini, Jackson Peppercorn, Rayan Syed, and Samuel Zachary. Ooh, and Franklin High School. Lots of names here tonight. James Ennessy. Uh, Lenning Kui, Emma Edwards, Grace Fagan, Anthony Mendoza, Lisa Messer, William Poff, Ellen Sanders, Kathleen Smalley, Emily Taylor, Russell Warzetsky, Abby Webb, looks familiar to me, and James Williams from Franklin High School. And Independence High School, Hunter Basila, Sierra Beck, Jacob Damut, Alexandria Hasmir. Saratsev Nemani, Laney Wanarski, Ella Wyckoff from Independence, Nolansville, Alex Campbell, Tyler Hummel, and Joseph Ribble. Page High School, Sharit Amit, Jack Peltier, Cooper Spain, and Monica Vasquez. Ravenwood High School, Anactic, Kaylee Bay, Ella Bullock Papa, Daniel Chin, and Jackson Dabb. Oh, and Reagan Enderley. Amanda Wong, Ryan Jordan, Matthew Liu, Harisha Marpali, Rhea Mitra, Malin Muthia. Also from Ravenwood, Singdao, Naradis, Jackson Stone, and Brooks Taylor. From Renaissance High School, Mason Adams and Chase Featherling. And from Summit High School, George Akiti Sanchez. Now we're going to move to some perfect ACTs. We have six of those. 
Students who earned a perfect ACT composite or better from Brentwood High School, Reagan Nelson. From Page High School, Cynthia Lang. From Ravenwood High School, Arsh Desai. From Ravenwood High School, Andrew Kim. From Ravenwood High School, Sophie McAtee. And from Ravenwood High School, Shiv Maheta. Now, folks, we are going to move to some theater awards. And these are fairly new for the actors, but we are so excited to share with you that the Tennessee Theater Education Educators Association has named many of our students to the to All-State Musical Theater. Matter of fact, we have 21 students named to these uh, Theater All-State. These are from Centennial High School, Nassim Akbari, Merritt Hainman, Bella Carison, and Abigail Levy, Celeste Phillips, Kyle Varenkamp, and Nicole Varenkamp. Bailey Mann is their theater instructor. Over at Franklin High School, All-State Musical Theater, Owen Minor and Logan Plowman. Tori Capps is their theater director. Becky Williams is the theater director at Independence High This is Emily Banks, E-Banks, sorry, Natalie Gleaton, Emily Kitch, Abram Knott, Zoe Phillips, and Tristan Valdez. Nolensville High School is not left out. Laura Lindsay is their theater director, and for All-State Musical Theater, Jamie Estes, Emerson Hutcherson, Callista McIntyre, Alette B. Nagis, Whitney Reamer, and Isabella Wickham. Now we're moving to All-State Acting. From Centennial High School, Valencia Acosta, Nissim Akbari, Verona Collins, Bella Carlson, Eva Metzerball, Celeste Phillips, and Nicole Varenkamp, Bailey Mann again, their director. Also in All-State Acting, Ella Holt from Frank, whoops, Ella Holt from Franklin, and Emily E. Banks from Independence, and also in All-State Acting from Nolensville High School, Isabella Wickham and McKenna Wiebeck, Laura Lindsay, again, their instructor, their drama director, all state acting from Summit High School under the guidance of the fabulous Annie Rice, Sarah Benche, Crystal Caroso, Emily Dalberry, Rebecca Dunlap, Logan Massick, Josephina Northcutt, Kendall Bauer, and Emily Standridge. And in the tech side of things, there's an all design and tech category from Centennial High School. G. Del Conte, Savannah Castabota, Abigail McClure, Hunter Hennessy, and Zach Rack. From Nolensville High School, this is Alice Beatty. Ooh, that's a lot of students to honor tonight, but congratulations to all of our students, their teachers, and their directors. And Madam Chair, if I may, I want to, as my final comment, uh, thank those who came and spoke at public comment. I know not everyone stayed, um, but uh, I uh, do appreciate um, the, 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 what they shared and the, uh, the excellent way that they presented tonight. Thank you, Mr. Golden. And with that, we'll move on to the board chair report, and my report will be brief. Uh, board members, as I mentioned on Thursday night, uh, the Tennessee School Board Association election guides are, uh, they were supposed to be available on Friday, but they're actually going to be available this week. Uh, so I'll make sure that those get to you if we don't get a mass mailing about that. And I also um, 
want to commend those who participate in public comment and not just for their participation speaking, but for their participation listening as well. Um, one other thing that I always try to mention this year is just if you are a tier three volunteer in the system, there is a place for you to volunteer. And um, board members, again, issue the challenge to you to get out and volunteer and uh, serve some lunch or do something else at our, at our schools. Um, and also the same, issue the same challenge to the community. There's some great opportunities out there uh, to be in our schools and to uh, really get to talk to our teachers and students. So thank you. Uh, with that, we'll move on to new business. And the first group of items pertain to the 2021-22 school board budget. The first item on the agenda tonight is the approval of the Education Capital Projects Fund Amendment 2.22 Intercategory Addition to Wilkes Lane. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. This uh, project for the new elementary school on Wilkes Lane in Spring Hill uh, went to bid, and the $7.2 million represents uh, the amount of the bid that was over the, uh, the current funding, especially based on market changes. You all may recall that we have actually built this model nine, ten times or so. Uh, and, uh, and have, have found a way to, to do it inexpensively. Significant changes in the, in the market right now. This is coming, um, if you all approve this, from our contingency fund for rural projects plus interest earnings. Do recommend your approval. Do we have a motion to approve? Ms. Durham makes the motion to approve. Is there a second? Mr. Mitchell seconds. Board members, is there any discussion? Mr. Galbraith. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, Mr. Farmer, I neglected to ask the other night, but um, but I thought we, I thought you had, you had given us uh, a um, a total that said that we were we had pretty much depleted our contingency funds, and it might be the difference between rural and, and non. But uh, can you tell us how much is left in, in here? I see there's obviously some interest earnings in there as well. So. Your microphone is on, Ms. Farmer. Yes, sir. Hold on. Looks like we canceled each other out. Hold on. Let's try again. Go ahead. Can Can you use one of your neighbors? Yes. Thank you. Ms. Hall, let me turn yours on. Moment, please. There she is. Okay, here we go. You are correct. The difference was between rural and general. And so, what we have left with this amendment would be $172,426 in general and then $212,553 in rural. So, we're pretty much out now. That's so, correct. And so, if we have any more overages, we're going to have to go back to the county commission. So, we've, we've depleted all of our all of our contingency funds. That's correct. Great, thanks. That's basically correct. And if I may, Mr. Galbraith, since you mentioned that, um, just to just as a reminder, the differentiation between rural and general, because we have a K-8 school district in the uh, in the county, Franklin Special School District, our our requirements are to differentiate between rural, which is K-8 for us, and general, which is nine through twelve. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, can, can we, uh, again, I guess, uh, 
Mr. Golden, I think you mentioned it a minute ago. We built this particular floor plan 11 times. Is that correct? I'm trying to remember the exact number. Uh, so uh, th we have actually, this it will be our ninth, according to Mr. Samuels' okay. Uh, fingers. Okay, so eight times previously. Maybe Mr. Samuels can speak to the difference in cost between this one and the previous, most recent. Um, Thank you for that, Mr. Samuels. And by, uh, Creekside is actually the most recent, so Mr. Samuels. You're on. Thank you. Uh, when we first built this uh, school back in, uh, or this floor plan back in 2006, 2007 for Longview Elementary and Nolensville Elementary, the new Nolensville, it was 14.6 and 16.8 million back then. So those numbers have kind of gone up and down a little bit. Starting with uh, Jordan, um, we, we got over the 20 million number, almost 24 million. Uh, Creekside was uh, 23 million. And so the prices continued to grow. Uh, we've cut all the fat out of this design, necessarily. The design works very well. What we're dealing with here is just an increase of, um, of uh, market prices, so. Thank you. Actually, I'm, I'm counting seven now, not eight. I'm sorry, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven that we've done already, this is number eight. I don't see any further questions. Board members, please cast your votes. Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown. Oh, Mr. Sorry. Okay. Mr. Brown. Josh, hold on just a second. Um, don't let me reset it. Yeah, let me. Yeah, there you go. Okay, thank you. To be clear, what is what does this amendment up to the seven point two bring us to total for the for this school? Mr. Samuels. If I may, um, I, I've referred to him, but in the, uh, in, the, in the board packet, the bid came in at $30,800,000. Uh, so um, so if, if you would, Mr. Samuels. Yeah, with the other, um, I won't call them administrative costs, the cost that we need to outfit the school to manage the construction project and all that adds another 3.3 million. So we're at $34 million um, about all total. And that includes technology, furniture, fixtures, um, library, et cetera. Professional services we need to overlook the project uh, and, and all, and a, and a very small contingency. So, so we're roughly 40% more than Creekside in two to three years time. No, the number I gave you for Creekside was the construction cost. So there's other costs associated with that. Okay, so the apples to apples would be more like a 30% increase. Right. Just, just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to that just to, with uh, making sure I'm double checking with Mr. Samuels on this. So the apples to apples would be from about 24 million to 30.8. Is that, is that correct, Mr. Samuels? Creekside construction cost was 22 nine. Okay, 23. And so 30.8 is the construction cost for here. I so think you're about right. 30, 35%, okay. Thank you. And Creekside was a bid in 2018. So. Board members, I see no other hands raised. If not, please cast your votes. 
Your vote is 10 yes, zero no. Thank you, board members. Our next item is the approval of the general purpose school fund amendment 2.22 athletic donation in the amount of $80,000, Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, as Mr. Tonicliffe, one of our county commissioners is sitting here, this is one of the rare revenue items that we have on our agenda. The Tennessee Titans uh, are donating $80,000 to fund two years worth of our flag football pilot program. Uh, those of you who watched the Titans playoff game may have noticed, I think in the first quarter, a reference to the, to the, to the girls flag football program that is a community effort from the Titans joint with us. We're going we're to pilot it. Uh, and uh, we will have uh, girls flag football at all of our comprehensive high schools this spring. And this will fully fund it. Do recommend approval. Board members, do we have a motion to approve? Ms. Durham makes the motion. Mr. Cash makes the second. Mr. I believe we have a board member requesting discussion. Mr. Wimberly. Yes, uh, Mr. Golden, could you give us a little bit more context about how this happened? And have they done something similar in other areas? There's got to be a story behind this. Not many people just up and write us $80,000 checks. So there, there are some examples across the country with girls flag football. And it is in certain communities supported by the local NFL team. Um, I'm going to actually, in just a second, ask Dr. Webb to share some of the specific details of the conversation. Uh, there was an interesting combination of our EIC program where our students uh, in the entrepreneurship um, classes spent some time on a marketing plan for a particular game day at one of the Titans games last season that just evolved into some conversations about how the Titans could get girls uh, more involved in the work that they do. It's a really exciting, I, I got to use the word neat, program uh, that, uh, that we think is growing. Um, I'm, I'm also going to say before I refer to Dr. Webb, uh, that we're going to make sure that this complements the programs that we have for all our students and does not conflict uh, with the programs. The more opportunities our students have, the better. One peculiarity to this is this is a pilot. Uh, the TSSAA is involved. They're participating in the pilot with us so that they can analyze the potential value of extending this statewide. Dr. Webb? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mr. Golden, and thank you for the question, Mr. Wimberley, because there's absolutely a great story involved in this. Uh, the original, yes, you knew it, you called it. The uh, initial uh, conversation did begin at the EIC, where uh, some out-of-the-box thinking was taking place between the Tennessee Titans as they mentored our entrepreneurship students, uh, as they partnered with our Jacksonville uh, game with the Titans, and actually um, helped produce and did a lot of marketing. Through those conversations, um, it did come up in regards to the flag football initiative taking place throughout the NFL. There are some uh, pockets of, of the initiative partnered with NFL programs across the country, but also there are states like Georgia who have very competitive high school girls flag football um, programs in place. There's college scholarships now available to students who are uh, playing flag football at the college level. The partnership with uh, the Titans has been pretty eye-popping for our young 
young ladies who are participating. The Tennessee Titans held a clinic this week. Uh, they brought in their NFL contact um, who has been teaching women around the country the, the sport of flag football. I hear from our football coaches who are participating that they also learned a thing or two uh, from this young, young lady who is uh, teaching about football and flag football specifically and about uh, the rules and the evolution of the game for our young ladies. The initial um, idea uh, was pushed out to our young ladies out in the buildings to say, hey, who has interest in this? And we were blown away at the interest from our young ladies and, and to participate. Our teams currently, as they are, are starting practice and, and formulating their workouts, they're seeing numbers as high as 80, 85 women and, uh, in, our, in our schools participating in this uh, inaugural year. The Tennessee Titans have been so um, impressed with their partnership with Williamson County. They have made the two-year commitment before expanding to other areas of the state. But uh, certainly TWSAA is looking to expand this. Uh, if this pilot is successful and interest remains um, throughout the entire state of Tennessee, perhaps, um, but waiting to see what the pilot produces. Uh, they are very cautious, ensuring that it doesn't interfere with their other spring TWSAA sports. The uh, practice schedule, the game schedules are, have been very carefully crafted. So our young ladies don't have to choose necessarily during this pilot uh, season of which sport they play. Um, we're wanting them to kind of dabble in it to see is this something for them before they make a long-term commitment or walk away from a sport that they've been playing perhaps for many years. Uh, we believe as the NFL that there are many women in, uh, in our community and across the state who are, have a strong interest in the, the game of football but haven't had the opportunity to play. So this is a great way to segue into it. So kudos to the Titans and TWSAA and we're super proud uh, to be the district that is, that is hosting. Thank you and um, this sounds great to me and thank you to all uh, who helped make this story possible. This is exciting. Good stuff. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you Madam Chair. Um, I'm excited and very much in support of, of accepting this revenue for to do this two-year pilot my question is around I guess this would be considered a club sport um, then or a club activity in in this case no it is a WCS run pilot we'll actually employ the coaches and use this this fund from the Titans to pay their salary it is a WCS run program it's not run by a private organization like the club sports and and not to be, be the negative uh, person to throw a question here how does that how does that affect uh, and I, I I don't think it's title nine but I know that there's a particular um, <clears throat> federal requirement that athletic opportunities are equal across the board uh, how does that affect our meeting that I can speak generally to it based on my understanding from conversations with uh, with with some of the regional um, federal folks and you hit title nine um, that my understanding is that's accurate. Um, traditionally, football has been an exception to a lot of those analyses um, because they're just. The I scope just of assumed it. volleyball was the was the equalizer at the football level, but maybe not. So, yeah. so, so short answer is no. Uh, it, it is it is not the equalizer. Um, it is it is one it is one more opportunity um, for the for the women. Okay. Can we get a can we get a readout on that then? Whether how that plays, how adding this additional sport into our portfolio then for 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 the ladies plays into our Title IX. 
maybe. I'll provide something okay. to the board. Thank you. I know, Ms. Yeah, I, oh yeah, Ms. Osberg's microphone was working. Just wanted to make sure that could be heard. Board members, I don't see any additional questions. With that, please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, zero no. Thank you. Our next item is approval of the Educational Capital Projects Fund, an intent to fund 3.22 Elementary School East Cox Lane. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, our proposed elementary school on Cox Lane uh, is, is running on a parallel but slightly uh, behind schedule compared to Wilkes Lane. Based on that and the projection we have for the bid coming in, uh, we do intend to ask of you and the county commission for this additional $15 million uh, to make sure that we do have funding for that. And if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Samuels, the bid is scheduled to open within the month? Next Thursday. Next Thursday. Thursday next week. So we do recommend approval for this. Is there a motion to approve? Mr. Cash makes the motion. Is there a second? Mr. Welch seconds. Board members, any discussion? I'm checking both screens carefully and I don't see any requests for discussion. So board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, zero no. Thank you, board members. Our next item is the approval of the 2022-23 family tuition rate, which is also an annual agenda item. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, every year we bring a proposal to you for the family tuition rate based on the per pupil expenditures related to what the state provides us. Uh, just as a reminder, we do not uh, open our school system to those students who are live out of county however there are folks who move in who have a contract where it's apparent they're going to be moving in during the school year and for continuity of instruction we do allow those families to have their students enroll uh, this tuition rate is based on that for that window of time where they might be in the process of moving in uh, and so we do recommend approval on that final thing i want to mention is the last paragraph of that uh, you do under board policy allow it, uh, children of employees, full-time employees, uh, to attend Williamson County Schools for a reduced rate that is generally aimed at a portion of the county portion of funding. Uh, that particular fund has been flat for the last three years during, I know during my tenure as superintendent, we do not recommend an increase in that. So do recommend approval on the family tuition rate for this coming year. Is there a motion to approve? Mr. Welch makes the motion to approve. Ms. Durham, was that a second? Oh, I wasn't. I thought you had your hand up. Okay, so you do want a second? Okay, great. Um, we do have discussion. Mr. Galbraith. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Jason, have have you have you brought this up with the with the mayor recently? Yes, uh, and you're talking specifically about the, the, tuition. Tuition, the tuition rate for employees? Outside, out of the county employees. For, right. for out of the county employees, yes. Um, over the years, uh, the um, um, members of, uh, of the county governing body, including the mayor, have made it clear that they do expect those who are out of county to pay something 
uh, towards towards tuition if again if they don't live in the county uh, and that 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 standard continues so I'm just just trying to trying to think out of the box as we as we're trying to attract teachers and um, and didn't even think about this on on Thursday and really thinking out loud but I'm fine with I'm fine with approving this because we can always come back and if we're going to reduce it we can we can reduce it later. Um, but I would really like to understand if there was a way to um, to provide this as a um, to provide a loan um, that's forgivable um, if and when the um, the the teacher if they if they stay here for. X number of years, like on the, on, if we if we're trying to get our teachers past those first two or three years when they're when they're leaving and and they're um, they're either a new teacher or they've or they've got five years of service with us. I'm just throwing out a number. Um, just wondering if that if that would be something that we might be able to consider. I like the brainstorming of that. Um, we'll make sure that we have that discussion and also talk to the WCEA leadership. We have regular conversations that really have been in earnest the last few weeks uh, with the WCA about opportunities for that. So um, we'll, we'll add that um, brainstorming to our discussion. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, and for the record, I, I like Jay's idea. I would, I would support something of that nature. And I would also... Uh, like us to uh, seriously consider uh, I, this got past me Thursday night as well uh, I would have made a suggestion that we lower this maybe to 3500 or something I am cur curious as to what is the standard operating procedure for subsequent years that, it, that it's calling out there and finally um, maybe if you when you talk to the county mayor about this if you know throw the idea if we've got the peers that we've got the capacity to support it based upon our uh, open zoning numbers that maybe we can this could be a benefit that would be open to all out of county out of out of county county employees so it would be because I know the county is also struggling with hiring um, as well and so maybe you could you could throw that idea as a um, as a countywide benefit for for county employees um, thank you for that a couple of pieces of information one uh, the the rate goes down based on number of years uh, that, a, that a student is in in school down to $750 at I think year nine maybe I'm getting a nod from uh, Miss Farmer that I've hit that um, correctly uh, also this is a family tuition rate it's not a per student rate um, so we, for our employees, we, it's the, it, it, again, it doesn't matter how many, how many children you have, and we'll make sure we have that conversation. The existing board policy, finally, does allow for county employees who have a school assignment, so more particularly SROs, uh, do have that benefit right now. So we'll have that discussion to, about whether there's some value in going beyond that. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. Mr. Brown. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'm looking at the, the board packet. Um, I see the breakdown of some of these numbers, but I don't see the number of employees this applies to currently. Do you have that number handy? Um, um, I'm going to look over. I don't have that number handy myself. Um, 
I don't know if Ms. Farmer or uh, Mr. Samuels uh, has that number. Maybe, maybe a rough estimate. It is in the it is in the high double figures or, or low triple figures, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so if it went off a hundred, for example, then obviously we can do the math that reducing per Elliott's comment. If we took that down to 3,500, we're only talking about a a very small number in terms of the impact of the budget. And this is something if we were going to make an amendment to this or try to make this change and lower it, we could do that at next next month's budget discussion. Is that correct or not? Yes, sir. Mr. Golden, can you clarify again who this applies, who this applies to? Uh, the 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 there's there's two two pieces to this. You all are voting on the rate, the the out of county tuition rate standard rate, and that would apply to those who 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 are in the process of moving in. Um, in addition to that, for additional information, we have that reduced rate that, that we've, we've established administratively over the years lower than that annual rate. Uh, and that is the rate that, um, that we've had those conversations with some of the county commissioners about over the years. So just to further clarify, because this can be confusing, what we're voting on tonight is, is the family tuition rate. That is correct, the 7965 family tuition rate. Okay, and that applies to? Uh, that applies to anyone who does not have a child in school and, wor and is working for us. I okay. probably said that poorly. That applies to anyone who, who might be moving into the county and needs that window of time uh, to, to move in. Thank you for that clarification. Mr. Cash. Thank you, Madam Chair. I just have a quick question. Um, we, we're kind of county employees, correct? Not technically. Thank you for that question. Um, we are, uh, uh, our, our employees are employees of Williamson County Schools, which is officially a different entity from the county government. Right. But if, if we were to say, um, we're going to cut the tuition rate, um, don't some of the county employees, you know, that work for the county now, fall under the same same guidance i mean if you give one something you're going to have to look at giving others under our existing board policy the 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 county 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 government employees who work in our facilities do have this option to bring right. their children to the school where they work or that feeder pattern right but it is quite limited compared to county government employees as a whole okay um, i just check them yeah. thank you I don't see any further questions. Board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, 0 no. Thank you. The next item is another annual agenda item. It's the approval of school fees. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, annually, we have a uh, proposed uh, school fees, which actually under Tennessee law require your vote to approve. Uh, and I want to make sure that I specify what I specified at the work session, that any curricular fees are called fees in Tennessee, but they are not, strictly speaking, fees as we traditionally think of fees. They are requests for funds. 
so if somebody has a $25 fee for a blank science class, it is a request for funds, not a requirement. Um, I do believe when we had this discussion that over years I think we've been doing a relatively good job compared to past years of communicating that, that this is voluntary. Uh, this is a revenue item that we do budget. Um, I'm estimating, Ms. Farmer, usually the total revenue is somewhere in the close to a million dollars uh, district-wide, um, which comes close to being one penny on the tax rate. Uh, and so we do recommend your approval for this with a caveat that this is a request for, for funds. Final, final piece of that, extracurricular activities that are not related to instructional, uh, can, we can require those as a condition of participation. Um, what we try to do, generally speaking, is find a way to cover that for, with fundraisers for those who, uh, who just aren't able to pay that. Is there a motion to approve? Mr. Wimberly makes the motion. Mr. Welch seconds. Any discussion, board members? Mr. Galbraith. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, I would just, I would like to ask and, and, and voice my, uh, my objection um, on an annual basis to, um, to, these, to these funds being collected. But um, I guess I would, I would just like to ask if we, uh, if we have the opportunity to get any additional funds from the from the state if you would consider um, consider remo removing this uh, line item or, or at least removing these fees as a revenue source and um, because we we hopefully will be getting that um, sometime soon and in addition to um, to more than likely paying teachers um, more as well as probably providing some additional positions that we that we don't have available um, I would really I would really like to let the parents keep this money um, and more than likely they are going to going to uh, going to put it back into to the PTOs and it will um, it will still be able to uh, to benefit our schools so I think there's a there's an opportunity for a win-win here um, if we uh, if we're able to to be so lucky as to get some additional funding thank you mr. Hall Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I, I have a question for clarification purposes. With the, the extracurricular fee assessment, um, the question was asked if, if they can, if the schools can require a fee on top of the existing fees for, to supplement for things that may not fall under exactly like a uniform requirement, but might still be required for the sport. So th thank you for the question. The short answer is, we cannot require a fee unless the board approves it. So if there's an example of, there's a, let's say there's a $250 fee and someone, you know, a WCS employee says, you've got the $250 fee plus you are required to pay an additional 100, that is not within our standards. Okay. Um, and more specifically, that's not, that's not appropriate under state law governing fees. So the, the appropriate thing to do in that case would be either to have a fundraiser uh, or, or ask for it rather than to require it. Okay, thank you. I, I imagine that would be particularly helpful as, as parents are considering activities and they think that this is the full cost of entry. It's, it's helpful to have all of that information up front. Well, to your point, most every activity, every extracurricular activity is going to have a fundraiser element to it. Yep, thank you. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Mr. Golden, just 
for some additional clarification as I'm looking at the high school um, fee schedule a couple of things there's a one it, I guess what I'm looking for is the the true clarification between what is a voluntary supplement slash fee versus a mandatory fee for the extracurricular piece um, and so I'm looking at an athletic fee uh, per person per sport um, cheerleading dance golf marching band uh, and then I'm over to the side here I'm looking at graduation JROTC uh, and things of that nature so can you can you give me a clear distinction between what what uh, if it, where I'm coming from is if you have a family that that can't really afford it or it's a burden upon them what is the what what is the delineation between what they have to pay versus what they don't have to pay and then subsequent to that what what process do we have to identify those families or children that are not participating in something strictly because of their their um, parents ability to pay it I'll answer the first part of that and then uh, actually refer to uh, um, Dr. Royer and Dr. Webb for the last portion of that. And that was a lot of questions, and I, I don't know that I articulated it very well. But well, we'll but see. We'll see if we can get the get the gist of. It. I, I know the heart of your of your question. Any fee, voluntary fee, is voluntary if it is related to a particular course and what's necessary to get the credit for that course during the regular school year uh, so so that's that's the standard for purely voluntary any extracurricular activity that is not related to getting credit for a course could be a fee that is required as a condition of participation so let me give you the best example I can you can take a band course Mm -hmm. And if there's a fee for that, that's exclusively voluntary. If you choose to participate in marching band, which is exclusively extracurricular, then you could be required to pay that fee. So I think of that this from a flow chart. You've that's got those example. two pieces. Mm -hmm. So let's let's step away from the course part and go to the could require. You've hit on the next piece of that flow chart which is, generally speaking, we're not going to require the fee because we have enough support from our families with fundraisers, et cetera. Uh, with that, um, I would like to turn it over to either Dr. Roy or Dr. Webb, whichever of the two of you wants to speak to it, related to how we make sure that we're serving all our students and giving them even those extracurricular opportunities. Dr. Webb, excuse me. Go ahead. Thank you. 
Thank you for the question, Mr. Elliott. It is a, a passion of ours to ensure that every student has the opportunity to participate in things they want to participate in. Um, and in regards to those required fees, find a way uh, to, to help the students with these required fees, whether it's extracurricular or part of the academic day. Our school counselors and our extracurricular coaches are the, the way currently, for the most part, that we're finding out about students who wish to participate in something or have a required fee that they're unable to meet the expectations on. Uh, and we work with those individual families. Um, we also have ways for um, knowing with on, within our campus, um, our counselors with full confidentiality certainly know those families who are struggling within their caseload uh, and can um, make those connections for coaches if the coaches don't, aren't already aware. And then we work to ensure that every student within uh, all realms possible or have the opportunity to participate. So I want to I put kind of a holistic description of, of, of this. The conversations we have with our administrators and our coaches is if you want to do blank, you know how much it's going to cost and you look in the aggregate to see if you have all that have enough money to do it, whether, whether from fundraisers or from fees. If you have enough money, you, you, you know, you've got a chance to do it. If you don't have enough money, you're not going to do it. You can't go back to the parents. And, and I'm kind of, you, you all know me from my previous discussion on the food shamming issue, for instance, where, where we have to give a meal to somebody regardless of their inability to pay and, and to make sure that the meal we give them is completely the same as the meal somebody pays so we're not publicly identifying students who, who, who due to no cause of their own, are, are, are unable to, to purchase a school meal. And I want to make sure that we're doing the exact same thing for these extracurricular activities, that we don't have a situation to where everybody on the, on the football team knows who didn't participate in the fee piece or who didn't participate or we don't have, even worse, we don't have children that are not participating in something that they want to because of a fear of, of, of that identification. And, and so tell me what, what we're doing or what we're communicating to our principals to make sure that, 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 that one, that these children are all given an opportunity to participate. And I think I heard Mr. Golden reaffirmed that a minute ago but two we're we're making sure that that the fee piece doesn't come down to you know who paid and who didn't and that that's a that's public knowledge so number one it's part of our culture and we reaffirm that culture at the beginning of every school year when uh, Darren joins has those conversations um, with our coaches uh, likewise on the art side uh, we, we, we do the same thing um, with, with those directors. Um, and I, I'll, I'll tell you, years ago, we, 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 you know, we've gotten some examples of that. Mm -hmm. um, it takes constant effort and constant reminders, uh, and it's really about the heart for students. Dr. Webb, no, Dr. Roy, are you about to say something? I was. One piece I want to add is a little less about elementary per se, but 
to enhance what Dr. Webb said, we also have monies for students who are identified as homeless, which this school district has, um, specific to extracurriculars, both in arts and athletics. And so our social workers are a key piece of, of those components. Um, certainly there's someone in the school building who is the liaison to the district homeless liaison as well as the social workers. It's often the counselors that Dr. Webb mentioned, but that team creates an opportunity. Once we have that information, um, those fees can come from that. So that's, I appreciated the language Mr. Golden used of it's our culture. I think, I think it's, we have done an incredible job in the last few years of making certain that teachers understand, that administrators understand, and then we have, whether through boosters or through coaches or through, you know, organizations at the school level, also at the district level with, with fed, with the federal monies um, figured out a way to take care of it for our students who are homeless and most vulnerable in that way. So, so in closing, I, I think I would like to, to throw a suggestion out to you, Mr. Golden, your staff is to, I appreciate the culture, I appreciate the intent. I, I think I'd like to see it kind of codified, whether that be in an SOP or, or a policy of some type that, that we're confident that there's any you know, something that says any child who wants to participate in an extracurricular activity, blah, 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 is, is able to. Thank right. you for that. We, we, we do it included in our annual training, but we will double check our SOPs. Mr. Brown. Thank you, Madam Chair. So two-part two question, um, Mr. Golden, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit because I know we didn't talk about this at the work session. Is it, is it fair to say, um, from looking at the chart, that most if, if not, certainly not all, but most of the more expensive fees are tied to the extracurricular activities. Would that be fair to say? Yes. Okay. So to Jay's earlier point about if we could get to a point where we have enough budget money coming in to make this an expenditure and not a revenue source, I think that would be great. Um, I, as a parent who gets these fee requests all the time and get, it is a little bit of a nickel and diming situation and I know that's there's, there's a lot of reasons historically we've done it, but I, if we could get to a place where we did that, that would be great. So my question is, have you, have you given any thought or could you give some thought to how you would delineate what would be covered in that fee line item if we were to do it that way? So let's say the money falls down to us, we can budget for it. If you, can you think through maybe for the next work session or next board meeting, which items do you would feel comfortable recommending be part of being covered by that expense and maybe which ones you would say might fall outside that expense are you asking which of these items are you asking us to consider eliminating some of the items on this particular list not eliminating necessarily but are, I guess maybe the better way to ask it is are there some of these things on here that you would say you would not be comfortable covering in that budget item um, that would be deemed st strictly extracurricular and not something that the district would need to pay for out of its own budget that the parents would continue to need students wouldn't continue needing to fund that or parents would um, and then assistance could be provided if needed I, I think we'll be able to speak to that uh, during the budget time yeah. I will speak generally extracurricular funding is pretty minimal uh, um, from from us and that's a long-standing Tennessee thing and we're no different yeah uh, there have been times that the, the WCS school board has asked for a, um, 
us to look for additional sources of revenue. That has not been discussed in the last few years, um, but we look at our revenue sources in the aggregate and look at our expense request in the aggregate and end up having to drill down and cut specifics uh, when, before, we bring the, before we bring a budget to you. If we have an elimination of a revenue source, then I anticipate that that would carry with it a commensurate reduction in the expense request we take to you. For, that's just generally speaking. Uh, so, so, but, but to your point with extracurriculars, for sure we can. We, we haven't talked about this recently in, in part because, um, because of the last two years. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact number. On the extracurricular side, if I'm not mistaken, we have had some years where we've gotten up to $11 million in, in donations uh, for, from fundraisers. Now, it, it's gone to specific restricted purposes that principals have worked out with their PTOs or coaches have worked out with, uh, with their families. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do what we do without parent support. Yeah, so I think my, my, my larger, more general point or question was, if this amounted to a million dollars, what we're looking at in front of us amounted to a million dollars, let's say, um, for argument's sake, would, would we necessarily need to have a million dollars of new money from the state um, to cover that? Gotcha. Or, or could we cover it for a lesser amount? Gotcha. That's oh, the, I see what you're saying. That's the general I see what question. you're saying. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at that and study that to prepare yeah. for next month. So, Mr. Welch, I'm, I'm going to pop in here for a minute and then um, we'll take your comment. Um, but I, I do want to say, you know, um, Jay makes his annual statement about fees and then I make my annual statement about fees, which is, I think school fees, I wish we didn't have to have them, but I think it's absolutely the fiscally conservative and responsible thing to do so that people who actually participate in the schools pay these fees and they aren't a burden or an additional cost to taxpayers, particularly retired people in this community. And regarding uh, some of this opportunity for all students to participate, Mr. Mitchell, there are some leading edge practices. Uh, I proudly represent a school that has a scholarship program for students who cannot participate um, in, in sports. That process is completely confidential. And um, they work with, with the student uh, for them to be able to participate in a sport. So Dr. Webb, uh, I believe you'll remember the school that I'm talking about, and it's a very active program and something that, um, that our parents really had the great idea to put together and has been in existence for a number of years. So, Mr. Welch. Thank you. And Nancy, you stole some of my thunder on that, which I'm glad to hear. It's, it's, I agree it would be wonderful if we had the funds where we didn't have to do this, but the fact is we do not have that money uh, in order to, to do it and to sort of try and put this on the PTOs. Um, as someone who served on the PTO executive board for, for three years, Nancy, I know you were president of the PTO. Angela, I believe you were uh, as, as well over at Fairview. I think we can all speak to just the amount of effort that goes into this. And I, I encourage you to go ahead and serve on a PTO board if you think there's excess funds and 
capital to be raised there. Uh, those, those moms and dads, mostly moms, are um, raising about all they can with, with that money. And so if we take it away, it has to be made up somewhere. It, it's just it's just not there. And that somewhere becomes the kids go out and sell more cookie dough or uh, I've bought tubs of cookie dough over the years or they sell more coupon calendars or everything else. And that pulls them away from practice and the time and the teams and their homework and everything else that way. The, the simple fact is we are not a, a money flush school district. Uh, there's an organization that has accused us of that, that it's also taxed our curriculum and has suggested we're flush with funds. But the fact is Tennessee is 46th in the nation in what it spends on public education and we are in the bottom half of Tennessee. So we are in the bottom half of the state that is about 46th in the nation. And I think we give, what, about $2,500 for sports ac across the board, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Golden, per school, about that for athletic field maintenance? On, our, on our funding? It's a little bit more than that, but that's, that's close. About 2,500, 3,000, that's across the board for all sports. So again, this is a voluntary fee. This is, this is not a requirement. There's no shaming that's done in it. If, if you can't do it, if you just don't want to do it, uh, there's no child that's restricted from this. And our parents do step up and do this, and uh, along with Nancy, I've seen that very close hand, worked on that very close hand, worked on a lot of events close hand from being wrestling tournament directors and Lucky Mutter board. I know that brings up a sore point for you, Mr. Golden, that, that particular memory. But there's a lot of effort that, that goes in there. And even if we did want to make this up with other funds, frankly, I think there's an opportunity cost there as well. Is this the number one thing that, it, you know, if we did get an additional million dollars or something like that, is this the number one thing that we would want to go to and spend it on? And I'm just not sure that that is the case. So if we want to talk about the revenue side, um, we should, and that's great. And I think we should have use some political capital and get out there and do that. Um, when there was a sales tax issue, uh, I would challenge everyone who kind of went out there and put effort behind that and went and talked and put themselves on the line if this is what you want to do those are the opportunities to do that but to just simply say let's take this revenue away from the teachers and the coaches and everything else who need that without having a plan in place for how we're going to make it up I, I think it's a little bit irresponsible uh, to, to be perfectly blunt so um, I, I appreciate the sentiment I support the sentiment but uh, it's it's definitely a needed volunteer opportunity that uh, we request and, and frankly I think a lot of our parents are, are, are happy to to do that I know I certainly was Mr. Galbraith Thank you Madam Chair uh, just to answer Mr. Brown and I and I wasn't clear this year that that my my particular issue is is not the fees themselves but it's the it's it's the require it's the it's the fees associated. It's the non-required fees associated with academic classes, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect or, um, or ask to offset anything else if I were, if even if I had my my way to, um, to apply some extra funds and, um, and to, to Mr. Welch's point, the, um, the additional. I mean, my my hypothesis is is that we would actually net 
raise as much money. Um, so yes, we we wouldn't have a we wouldn't have a revenue source. But the the people who are going to give who are nickel and dime, it's just like the invest campaigns that people that people raise. We actually we actually increase the amount of money w that we raise when we just ask one time for an amount and they and they give it rather than feeling like they have to pay they're paying more money because they're being nickel and dime for these things where I think we're I think the net total that we raise through these fees and the PTOs could actually go up um, by but just more money funneled to the PTOs that can that can handle school um, school fundraising that way so that's it. thanks Thank you, board members. I see no further discussion. If you'll please cast your votes for the approval of school fees. Your vote is nine yes, one no. Thank you. Our next item is approval of the Encore Summer 2022 Enrichment Program fees. Again, another annual agenda item, Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, this is uh, one of the uh, non-curricular fees for those who would like to participate. And uh, Dr. Orr, you may cringe when I say this, but I equate this as close as I can to uh, summer camp. Okay, you're good with that. Uh, it's, it's kind of those fun uh, summer activities. We have made sure that the schedule for this uh, um, uh, is, is stretched to July so that it doesn't conflict with uh, what's going to be year two of the state summer school program, which they actually call summer camp. Um, so uh, so uh, we, do, we do recommend your approval of, uh, of the fees to make this a self-funded program for this summer. Is there a motion to approve? Mr. Cash makes the motion. Mr. Mitchell seconds. Any discussion board members? Please cast your votes. I see no dis Oh, Mr. Cash, did you want to discuss? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, this is this program's well worth the money. Um, kids get a lot of a lot out of it, and it's a lot of fun for them. Keeps them busy in the summer, and I, I know I've I've had a few in it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Cash. Board members, I don't see any further questions or discussion. Please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, zero no. Thank you, board members. The next item uh, is a school board policy for first and final reading, which is policy 1.703, school attendance areas, zoning, and non-resident students. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, after a lot of discussion about a new state law regarding, uh, regarding open zone schools, uh, we went back and studied our policy knowing that the new state structure, which has the potential to just last for one year, by the way, uh, it, uh, includes um, a, a lottery if the maximum available seats have been reached at any particular school. So because of that, we've come back to you with a request that we modify our existing board policy in one way, uh, to move the deadline from May 15th to April 15th so that our staff has time to process the out-of-zone request after that lottery structure uh, is, is done. Um, to the, to the point I made earlier, there is some pending legislation. Uh, we don't know where it's going to go um, because there's been a lot of discussion across the state 
about the, some concerns of, over the logistics of the new law that's in place this year. So we do recommend approval for now of this one uh, change, knowing that depending on what happens at the state, in the next few months, uh, we may be coming to you with a, with a more deeper review of this policy. So board members, this, this request does meet policy 1.600, policy development and adoption regarding the first and final reading. Ms. Osbrooks, is that correct? Yes, that is. Board members, um, we do have in policy that you can waive the second reading and uh, take immediate action to adopt a new or revised policy. Board members, is there a motion to approve? Mr. Hall makes the motion to approve. Is there a second? Mr. Galbraith? Mr. Haw, discussion. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, I would just move to waive the second reading of this policy and approve this policy at first and final reading. Mr. Galbraith. Thank you, Madam Chair. Mr. Samuels, do you any um, any update as far as the number of uh, requests that we've received and kind of how it relates to prior years? I have numbers uh, as of Thursday night before the work session. I, I didn't get them today. Um, as of Thursday night, there are only four schools that had double-digit requests. All the other schools, those that had a request, were single digits. Um, only two schools were at the 50% level. Um, and in, in terms of comparison numbers from the last couple years, I don't have that information. But what I recall is we didn't get a lot. I think this is probably a bit more than that, but uh, um, that's where the numbers are right now. Okay. I, have a, I have a little bit. Um, last year, Centennial filled up with the, with the uh, numbers that we had available. Um, and so uh, th there's a possibility we're projecting we might have one or two schools that, that look, are looking like the possibility of a lottery based on our traditional experience with a spike in, in, uh, in requests on the front end as the, as the window opens and then a spike as the window's closing. So Thank you. As, the numbers as the numbers that we have are right now, no lottery would be required, but it's, it's early. Board members, I don't see any other further requests for discussion. Please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, 0 no. Our next agenda item is board policies for first reading. Policy 3.210, Naming Facilities. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. As we discussed in detail at the Policy Committee and, and uh, more briefly at the work session, we are proposing two changes to the Naming Facilities policy based on the input um, we, we got from uh, the board at the Policy Committee meeting to, uh, to change um, at first reading uh, for tonight uh, a list of names for schools to be two or three rather than just three names. Uh, when the committee meets and second that the naming committee does have the power to to rank the names presented to the board if a clear consensus exists so we recommend approval on first reading of this policy is there a motion to approve, approve. mr wimberly and mr haw makes the second board members any discussion it 
shocked to see there's no further discussion. Board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, zero no. Now we'll be discussing policy 6.306, interference or disruption of school activities. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. This is uh, first reading for a new policy recommended by TSBA based on uh, um, uh, some laws in the state. We do recommend approval at first reading. Motion to approve, board members. Mr. Brown makes the motion. Mr. Haw makes the second. Uh, board members, any discussion? I see no request for discussion. Board members, please cast your votes. That's okay. Oh, and I'm still voting. Your vote is nine yes, zero no. Thank you, board members. The next item is policy 6.500, student receiving special education services. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Likewise, this is a recommendation from TSBA based on a change in the law. We do recommend your approval on first reading. Is there a motion to approve? Mr. Welch makes the motion, a second. Mr. Brown makes the second. Board members, any discussion on this item? I see no requests for discussion. Board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, zero no. Thank you, board members. Our next item is an approval to extend the 2020 2022 graduation window, Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, uh, two of our high schools brought this request to us, uh, Franklin High School and Independence specifically, uh, based on some conclusions and recommendations that they have had related to their graduation ceremonies. Our current uh, uh, calendar this year has the graduation window from Friday to Sunday. Uh, because of so many schools deciding that they that they liked having their graduation ceremonies on campus. They wanted many of them, all but two, if I'm not mistaken, maybe, maybe three if you count Renaissance, uh, uh, want to do it on campus. We, they determined that the logistics of available stages and available sound systems made that a practical impossibility without adding one more day. Um, Franklin High School and Independence High School gave a save the date uh, back in mid-January uh, to their families in the hopes that you would approve this uh, so that they could have those ceremonies in thir on, th on Thursday uh, after, after the uh, school calendar. The current year's calendar, the one, well, next year's calendar that you have already approved actually has Thursday in it, um, but uh, we did not have that foresight back when this, this current year's calendar was prepared uh, for this possibility. We do make that request of you. Recommend approval. So you said recommend approval? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Board members, do we have a motion to approve? 
Mr. Cash makes the motion. Do, Mr. Ha makes the second. Board members, any discussion? Please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, zero no. Thank you, board members. Now we will address the approval of resolution, approval of uh, school board resolution regarding House Bill 2833 and Senate Bill 2168. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. This item was not on our agenda at the work session, but was a product of the agenda discussion uh, when Ms. Cleveland and Mr. Wimberly presented uh, in during the board chair's report. As a result of your discussion, we have prepared for you a draft resolution uh, that, uh, that addresses this particular bill, which if printed out is 12 pages long. And so based upon your feedback and what you shared at the work session, uh, we've, 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 we've drafted this for, for your review. Mr. Golden, do you do you want to provide a quick recap? Sure, I'll give, or, a, little, give a little bit of detail. I also, uh, oh. Ms. Cleveland, do you do you have your do you want to speak? I'll wait until. Okay, if you'll press your button, that way I can log you in. Thank you. So I'll speak to it based on my reading of of, uh, of this bill. Uh, there are a number of proposed changes to uh, the existing laws governing the approvals and implementation of charter schools. Uh, we noticed a few items that based on our experience had the potential to be a real challenge for us, especially locally. Uh, number one, it, it includes a proposal to shrink the uh, review time from 90 to 75 days. And from what we've heard from those individuals who have reviewed these applications, 90 days is, is a tight window for review because of the comprehensive review. Second, the new, the, uh, the, the bill uh, allows for uh, charters to opt into using a school facility that, uh, that has less than 50% used capacity for student instruction. For us locally, that has the potential to be a problem, especially as we grow. As we open a new school, we may hit a window of time, especially early, where a school is not at 50% capacity, but is growing. Uh, and we project that it's possible that this draft legislation did not contemplate the, the potential impact of this on fast-growing districts. And then finally, uh, the third reference there, funding changes related to facilities use. We know, based on what the State Department of Education has shared, that the new funding uh, formula that they will be considering this year has some provisions for charter schools, especially related to capital. And so we added in this draft for you all to consider that um, making a substantial change this year is premature without knowing the impact of whatever they do at the state level with the funding model. Thank you, Mr. Golden, for that further explanation, given that this wasn't on our work session agenda. Um, I've been advised by our attorney to um, ask for a motion and a second and then Ms. Cleveland, you make the motion? Okay, is there a second? Mr. Welch makes the second. Board members, for dis, um, let's move into the discussion phase. Ms. Cleveland. Okay, thank you very much. And um, 
just to let you know, uh, this is a Tennessee School Board Association on their opposed list. Um, they are advocating against this. And then one other portion of the bill um, that has not been mentioned, of course, again, this is to give us all local control for charter schools and not let it to the state. There's another part of it that also says it enables um, charter operators with at least one approved, if a one approved school that has been in operation for at least a full school year can bypass local school boards and go straight to the state for approval to expand, an, to expand um, another part of the bill and force wait, to expand. So they can. So if they have one charter school and there's another like charter school focused on the same academics or from the same organization, that they can bypass us and just move into another charter school. So that's also part of the bill. Mr. Brown. Thank you, Madam Chair. And, and maybe that's, so if you look at the second whereas clause, it, the last uh, phrase there, last line says, and other provisions re reducing local LEA decision making. So Sheila, I'm guessing that one of the things that that references is what you just said, right? Are there other things that would be worth pointing out that fall under that other provisions line? <coughs> Ms. Cleveland, just a moment, please. There you go. Thank you. That's a, that's a good question, Mr. Brown. Yes, there are, and I don't have the list, but these are the key major points. There's, there's um, like you said, quite a few um, items in that, but these are the, the key points that pretty much our resolution is more to get the gist out to the legislators that we need the local control. But I will be happy to send you that, the rest of the summary bill, if you'd like. Can I ask again for a follow-up? Uh, is there any, maybe a question for Mr. Golden, is there any scenario in which any of us putting this resolution forward prejudices or compromises the current review that's happening with the applications? My reading is no, because we are applying the current law to that, okay. and, and this proposal would not take effect this year. Okay, thank you. Mr. Galbraith? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I think Ms. Osbrook's probably the best one to, to answer this question but um, I know we've we've had we've had various voucher bills come come in uh, come before us and we've um, I think we've taken some we've taken some of these up and and not taken some of them up but um, so I think most people um, are more familiar with the with the voucher discussion um, and and that to date it's always been around um, it's always been around failing schools, and you'd had to qualify. And even the the current the current plan, um, I guess it's under that's it, being being challenged, but was just under um, for Selby and Davidson County at the end of the day. Um, and I think our our legislative our our local representatives on the legislature um, have have always. They've kind of taken this one stand that they're they've been for it, but they are against using it in um, in Williamson County. Um, I say that to say when you when you compare vouchers to charters, um, and I and I'm I'm speaking particularly to to the provision that Sheila just that just that she just read as far as kind of bypassing um, bypassing any local review if there is a um, if they've already got, let's just say there's already a charter in Davidson County, then um, then under 
under the proposed legislation that could change a million times before it gets gets to the floor. Um, but that, if it was, if it went as read, then they could put a they could put a charter school in any county, regardless. Uh, so they've proven that the charter can operate, and then they could put one in Williamson County or Davidson or Shelby or or Rutherford, um, without regard to to any particular need in the in that county is that how you understand that provision as i'm understanding your question i believe so okay. so the bill authorizes um a governing body who has at least one public charter school that's been authorized by the charter school commission either through an lea approval or an appeal approval they have to be in operation for at least one full year and then they can apply to replicate, is what they're calling it, directly to the Charter School Commission. That is the piece that typically would be the local control and the application would be to this body. There are um, a list of criteria. Um, as Superintendent Golden mentioned, it's about 12 pages. I'm not gonna be able to spell out all of that criteria, but the broad answer to your question is yes. Um, that would be a piece of the local control that this board would lose. But just in just in general, for for charters and the um, and and even even within even the LEA as as the as local control, and we get we have to review the we have to we get to review the charter application um, and then review the appeal, and then it goes to the to the state board. But is um, is it is there anything regarding um, requirement to prove that there are failing schools or some other kind of criteria that we're in order to in order to in order to show the need for a charter just based on the state rules regarding charters there is not anything that I recall in this bill well just in, maybe maybe just in general like before before the bill just to, just the because we recognize, we've heard, we know more, but we know more about how how vouchers have been um, have been kind of promulgated through, and it's and it's always around um, it's always around around failing schools. But charters, is there is there any such requirement, or can they come in and apply anywhere, and they just apply to the LEA, and we say yes or no? Correct. There is, to my knowledge, not any requirement that a district has to have a failing school in order for a charter school application to be filed. Okay. That's not a part of the process that right. we are reviewing right now with right. our charter school review committee. Okay, thanks. Ms. Cleveland? Yes, I just want to make a statement too that this is about local control and I want to make it clear this does not um, anywhere near say the views of how the board feels about charter schools. It's just about local control. I want to make that clear. Thank you, Mr. Wimberly. Isn't it a kind of a fundamental tenet of charters that they've got to demonstrate that they can provide something that we can't provide? It's not necessarily uh, because of a failing school, but if they say they can do something that we're not already doing and make and convince the school board and perhaps the state. I mean, isn't that really kind of fundamental to charters? I think that's a fair... Mr. Point of, point of clarification. Mr. Wimberly, who are you addressing your question to? 
Are you dressing it? I, I thought you were looking this way, so I just want to make sure. Yeah. I think he was kind of answering my question. I, okay. I you know, I think it was, uh, yes, I think I was trying to answer Jay's question to, based on what I know. Thank you. Well, and, and Ms. Osbrooks did speak to that. That's my understanding of it as well, that it's a combination, and again, I'm speaking big buckets, of uh, a service that's not provided plus the logistical capability of achieving it. Thank you. Mr. Galbraith? So, Mr. Wimley, I, I, I agree. I think the where, and, and and the reason why I'm for, I mean, I think it, I think to to Josh's point, the the um, the local control piece in in that second whereas kind of covers this, but but to me, if you that the the most the, one of the most troubling provisions in these bills is the fact that they could once they once they prove that they have a need, that they could meet a need in Davidson County, um, then then presumably the need, the same need exists in Williamson County and Rutherford as well, and they just place a charter here without having to evaluate the whether they can provide something that we can't. So that that was the that, that's kind of where I was what I was trying to figure it out. Mr. Brown. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm absolutely supportive of, of making sure we reinforce the local control piece of this um, one thing that I wonder is whether to the thing you just said Sheila about making it clear that this resolution does not imply anything else about where the board stands on charter schools generally is it worth putting a whereas clause in here to state that that's one question I guess to put on the table the other point is I'm it's not my understanding of charter schools that they have to necessarily provide something that the district isn't providing but rather so I would need to be corrected on that or, or educated about that because it's my understanding that they have to according to the state law have to provide at least equal services to what the district is providing currently but not it wasn't my understanding that it had to necessarily be something different than what's being provided but I could be wrong about that so how do you, how would we want to take up that first question about adding something? Is there is it the will of the board to do that? I'd recommend you make that a motion to amend the resolution to include whatever language you're contemplating. Okay, then I would move to add a whereas clause to state that such this resolution does not in any way um, represent the board's views on the merits of charter schools generally or something to that effect I'm doing that off the top of my head so if you want to lawyer that up I'm, I'm happy to take suggestions so there is and that's a motion that's a motion. okay yes motion, so, to, motion to amend motion to amend the resolution with that language okay, or, we have, or a variation of that language we have a motion to amend the the um, Tim and Brian, can you please put it back on the screen? Thank you. That would be helpful, I think. Uh, we have a motion to amend the resolution with a whereas that states that this is, and let me, let me see if I'm um, paraphrasing correctly, that this is about local control of the charter school decision. Mr. Brown, is that an appropriate paraphrase? Um, 
that it's that's the intent of this board to emphasize the importance of local control and that this resolution does not necessarily represent the board's views on charter schools generally Some, something to that effect do we have a second Miss uh, Cleveland, Cleveland seconds. Miss Cleveland seconded, but Madam Chair, for clarity's purposes, um, where would you like it placed? I have a thought, but I'd like to defer to you first. Well, the, the last whereas clause already kind of refers to local control anyway, so maybe adding, keeping what's there, and just adding. A second phrase or a second clause to that whereas clause that just references the board stance on charters generally and strikes the the local control language because it's already it really is already there in that last whereas clause so whereas the proposed legislation reduces local decision-making on issues that are best made by local elected bodies with knowledge of local conditions and maybe add another whereas clause and whereas this resolution does not represent does not necessarily represent the board's position on charter schools generally something like add that. a whereas after after the a, after, after the, the current after, after as the last whereas yes mr welch May I suggest something along the effect of whereas this this legislation, uh, I'm sorry, this resolution, um, the board takes no stance, positive or negative, on any individual charter schools or charter school applications and doing it that way. I think that captures the spirit of what you're looking for, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, might might already wait. say what the same thing you said. Sorry, Miss Osbrooks. I'm, I'm so, sorry, Mr. Welch, Brown, are you to wanting you. to amend the language that is on the floor? I don't think we have language on the floor. I think we're trying to lawyer it up as we go. So it's just making the acceptance. Or if we do, that's we fine. Do. And no, okay. I, I do not want to uh, amend the motion on, on the floor. I'm, I'm fine. I'm just trying to be helpful. Mr. Brown, did you, so I interrupted you to get no, no. Do we, attorneys so do we, input? Did I, did I articulate language that we can put, that we can vote on, or do we need more? It, if I'm not mistaken, Madam Chair, there was a motion and a second. Uh, to by, to, by Mr. Brown, which was, whereas this resolution does not in any way represents the board's view on charter schools generally. Mm -hmm. And that is, as I understand it, Dana, if you would correct me if I'm wrong, that is now the motion that's on the floor, which is an amendment to the original. That is correct. Mr. Wimberly. I just have an editorial dis um, a suggestion, and I'm not sure this is the right way to do it but in your motion you put does not necessarily it seems to me that necessarily is a little bit it's it's superfluous I mean we either it does not or it does so I mean it's not a really real big deal but it seems like the word necessarily 
is not necessary. necessary. <laughs> Thank Mr. You. Mitchell. Um, I, I guess my edit here is on where, where that additional whereas is placed. I think I would, I would recommend that we do not, that we put it above the last whereas. So as the point of the resolution here is the last item, the last argument to be made in the resolution, that it's all about local control and not our position on charter schools. So I would, I would offer up that we put it as th this additional statement as the next to the last whereas as opposed to the final one. Mr. Brown. I, I would have no concern about doing what Elliot's suggesting. And then I would also have no concern about necessarily being stricken either. So either, either of those is good. So at this point, are you going to... So I'll change, my, I'll change my motion right. to strike necessarily and to move it to this whereas clause before the la the next to last whereas clause. Is that what and, you're saying? Yeah. And Miss Cleveland, who had the second? Miss Cleveland. Miss, oh, Casey. No. Is, no. no? Oh, Ms. Cleveland. Miss Cleveland, are you agreeable to that? Okay. Miss Cleveland concurs with those changes. I'm going to ask Mr. Golden to read that for clarity. And if I may, um, I'll just, just double check, uh, does, uh, does Ms. Glenn have that written down? Because you're doing the minutes. I want to make sure it's appropriately read through the, by the minute taker. Yep. So I have a motion. Lydia, just a moment, please. There you go. I have a motion to amend by Mr. Brown and second by Ms. Cleveland. Uh, whereas this resolution does not represent the board's position on charter schools generally. I think maybe we were having in any way, any way before represent. So we're keeping in does not represent, does not in any way represent. Whereas this resolution does not in any way represent the board's position on charter schools generally. And where is that being placed? And it is being placed after the last whereas paragraph that ends knowledge of local conditions. No. No. The next, we're going to place it as the second to last whereas clause. Okay. Mr. Haw. Uh, do we have a superintendent recommendation on this? I do recommend approval of this change. Okay. Okay, board members. If there's no further discussion, please cast your votes. For the uh, voting on the amendments. The amendment. Thank you. Your vote is 10 yes, 0 no. Okay, so the amendment is approved. And we're going back to the original motion. The approval of the resolution. And the staff recommendation is as amended. Mr. Golden. Recommend approval. Okay. I don't see any discussion. Board members, please cast your votes. Your vote is 10 yes, 0 no. Thank you, board members. And uh, thank everyone for taking the time and being careful about making sure that we got that recorded into the minutes appropriately. 
Our final agenda item for tonight is the appeal of the reconsideration committee decision. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, as the board knows from the discussion at the work session, uh, the appeal of the uh, reconsideration committee decision is on for uh, for your review. We spent a good bit of, bit of time um, discussing a number of issues related to it uh, and uh, certainly want to let you all know that, uh, that the floor is open for any motions you'd like to make related to it. Do we have a motion to approve? Mr. Haw, do we have a second? Ms. Cleveland seconds. Have a number of speakers, so let's move to discussion. Ms. Cleveland? I guess what we're, what, what's the motion? Is it, is the, you just said that they could, we could make any motions, or is, are, we, are we moving to approve the committee's recommendation? Is that the that, motion? That's what I heard from Mr. Hall. Thank you for clarifying. Um, my first speaker was Ms. Cleveland. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, as you've, those have heard me speak before, and I'll probably be, I'll be stating this again, that I believe parents are also the mentor and teachers, and kids look up to their parents for directions of thoughts and opinions about the world around them, while teaching them to respect those who have different beliefs than they do. WCS teachers are well-educated and professionals. Over 50% of our WCS teachers have 10 plus years of experience. I'm a little disappointed in those in our community that have lost faith that our teachers are not capable of recognizing sensitive issues in the curriculum and are not confident that they can teach appropriately. And I do listen. I do listen to both sides, taking into consideration not only the committee's decision, but also the opinions of constituents and parents who are for or against the committee's decision. I also realize that state-mandated curriculum, someone will find something wrong about it and it be omitted. I mean, that is the known fact, that there's always going to be something somebody doesn't like. We do have a process based on policy and a committee was formed. And as a side note, the board did touch base on taking another look at the policy because we've, had, we've never had this situation come up before in the reconsideration process. The committee did a thorough job involved over 60 hours of meetings, readings, discussing books, and the teacher's manual. I can't even quantify the number of hours of personal time spent. I was not involved in the process or the experience of what the committee did, and therefore I don't feel qualified to say they're wrong. I do understand there's questions regarding grade level appropriateness, and I, I get that. And, but I also realize that these are p opinions are very subjective. I have talked to parents that say they're fine at grade level curriculum, as you've heard at speakers tonight, and some that are not. And I really do appreciate the, um, the appellants that took the time, that actually took the time to write their appeal and offer suggestions. In past years, administration has done a great job continuously tweaking the curriculum to fit the high standards Williamson County are, is known for. And my hope, Mr. Golden, is that you and your staff will consider the appellant's suggestions and continue to look at the curriculum of ways to improve it. And the one question I have is we did have one or two appellants ask, can, is it feasible just to get rid of the wit and wisdom curriculum and start over again? What is the feasibility of that? Thank you for the question. We do have that responsibility to go through the state approval process, which we have discussed in detail at, at different times, so I won't give you that detail. Uh, if wit and wisdom 
is eliminated, we will need to go through that approval process. We do have the capacity for small changes to, to go to the state and ask for a waiver. But if given, given the process that we've gone through, we would need to go back through that approval process. We're, there was, generally speaking, it's not always true, but generally speaking, there's six years in an adoption cycle. There have been some exceptions with COVID where other curriculum uh, has, has been pushed a, a little bit. So we're in the second year of a six year. We would need to go back through that process for the remaining portion of that cycle. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, appreciate Ms. Cleveland's comments. I, I agree with them. Um, I'll make the point, too, that no curriculum is perfect and that uh, I agree with Ms. Cleveland's request that we continue to look for ways to improve this one, given the concerns. I think, uh, I think there has been a couple of things uh, brought to light here. One is the fact that I think our process and policy was, was written with an idea of, of, of a focus on individual items and not a more broad uh, review of a whole swath of curriculum and so maybe we need to look look at how that process can be adjusted to support that um, I think the other thing that has been brought to light that I believe needs needs to be adjusted and looked at is the the opt-out process for for children assisting children that have opted out and making sure that they're not just put in a library and and self-directed, uh, especially if depending upon the the ability of that child to be successful in that type of type of environment. So, I, I encourage us to go back and and look at how we can we can continue to accommodate both the the people that opt out as well as uh, as the larger process when we have when we have a request to review an entire swath of curriculum just in, as opposed to maybe one specific item in it but i'll i i support the motion thank you mr cash thank you madam chair you know this whole process from the get-go was rushed through and for, for us to think that parents are blaming the teachers, that's, that's wrong. We're not. There's been so many emails and correspondence that I've had over this whole process, and parents are thanking the teachers and principals because they've really worked hard to accommodate students uh, that opted out. I mean, we've got 30 students in one school that opted out of a book and I believe the principal's teaching it. So no, this is in no way looking at bad teachers or bad principals. What I mean by rushed through is we didn't even have all the textbooks in the beginning of 2020. They were going by the teacher's manual only at that time. And like any other curriculum, 
over time, the first semester they started seeing flaws, things that they felt needed to be changed. And it, with this particular curriculum, the structure is so, uh, it's structured to the point you can't just change things around. And I've had many conversations about this. And I think uh, with the process here, with the 4.403 reconsideration, they have moved some things around and they have changed some things and I appreciate that. But this isn't going away anytime soon. It's just a matter of when people get to these particular areas. And I might say right now, uh, we have not asked for books to be removed. The number one issue all along from the very get-go of the issues, and this is last year and going into this year, is age appropriateness. So everyone that feels like we're up here trying to censor books and, and take them out, I have never asked for that. It's always been about age appropriateness, and I still stand on that. I do agree with what Elliot uh, said about the process and uh, you know we need, need to look at it take it back to policy I've requested that and we're going to start looking at uh, different things for for policy to go on the process has been done through policy but to my the other things I had three pages written out but I'm, I'm just ad-libbing now since it changed a little bit but the, the, the printouts that we saw last night, the charts, um, I read over those in great detail this weekend and today. We're, we're, always, we're always saying that teachers, teachers don't feel welcome or whatever because they can't move into, our, into the community. 68% of our teachers live in Williamson County. Another 15% live in Nashville, which is about the same real estate rates and whatnot. And then that's 83%. And according to the chart, there's another 5% in, in uh, possibly Columbia and Murfreesboro. I agree, pay is a big issue. But I honestly, in my heart, after listening to our WCA president the other night that got up there to represent her folks, the teachers, really said nothing. She didn't have to say anything. There are more issues that the teachers are having right now that we need to get to the bottom of. And I believe one of them is this curriculum. I truly do. I think a lot of principals and teachers don't feel comfortable with a lot of the, the text and whatnot, and I'm not going to go into that. But we need to know, if teachers aren't happy teaching, then it's not going to work right. And I think that's what the people that appealed, the appellates that appealed, are trying to say. 
Now, I don't get on the internet. I don't get on social media. Never have in almost eight years. But I heard through the grapevine that these folks that are appealing are the reasons that our teachers are so unhappy and want to leave this county. And that is sad. That is sad. Now, there's so many issues that I looked at that I've really thought about for the last three years. And one, one was we had a, a new, brand new ELA curriculum for elementary school in, in fall of 2020. We also had a little thing called a pandemic. We also had uh, six or eight new platforms put online for teachers that they had to go through and learn. Online training, remote training, Zoom training, everything, training, training, training. And they did it. They worked their tails off. They worked their, they worked their hearts out with this. And I think every parent knows that. Our parents appreciate our teachers and principals. Because we can sit here and make policy just like we changed some few things tonight. All we want. But don't forget, the rubber doesn't hit the road until, until it gets to that principals and the teachers. The other thing is with a change in curriculum, there is going to be complaining one way or the other. And who gets the complaints? The teachers and principals. And they, they try their best to handle it. I always tell folks when I get calls, well, I called the principal and whatnot, and I said, well, you know what? The principals are going by guidelines set by central office. So the next step would be you need to notify this person, this person, or this person. It's called the chain of command. Always have done that. That way they're being represented. But one bullet point on the, the chart was that uh, social media and um, e terrible emails and the community doesn't uh, like them. And, and the other one was scrutiny. And I, and I asked the question to myself. I said, okay, scrutiny, let's see. Stress from constant scrutiny. Who, where, and what are you being scrutinized about? And I made reference to those folks that appealed. They were scrutinized all weekend for appealing, for using their right of free speech. What about when teachers come up, or principal or a teacher comes up and says, you know, there's some things we need to change in this curriculum. Were they scrutinized or were they listened to? I don't know. But nothing seemed to change much the first year until the reconsideration. How are teachers being scrutinized? How about parents when they ask, what about the opt-out? The only thing the principal or teacher can say is, well, we're going to have to do this and this, and we're going to have to put them over here. I mean, you're asking for them to be removed from the class. 
a lot of the answers are, you're the only one. I know people that have been asked that. And they say, no, I don't want them opted out. There's hundreds of people out there that are upset with this that will not opt their children out because they feel like, you know what, these little guys, I'm not going to have them pulled out of class and separated from their classmates and have them come up and say, hey, why am I being punished? Just over and over. Other things, have been, like I said earlier, that's been injected into them, all the training, all the, uh, the uh, social-emotional learning is another thing that's put on teachers. Um, let me see, I had a list of... Well, well, anyhow, but with all, with everything that's been put on teachers the last three years, and I've asked this question before, four or five years ago, how much can we put on teachers? How much more can we put on teachers and have them still give these children 100% instruction? especially in elementary school. These kids love that teacher. They listen to that teacher. Those teachers hear all kinds of stories, a lot of things they don't want to hear from these kids. They're the sounding board for them. How much more of all the other stuff that's going on can be put on that teacher to do. We got 467 Instagrams a year or two ago. At that time about, about social injustice, whether it was LGBTQ or race or, I mean there was a bunch of things, bunch of different issues, bullying. But where did that end up? We had, 17, we had 17 cases on the books at that time. And what happened with all that? Well, you know what I heard? The teachers weren't writing people up for stuff. They weren't reporting it. The principals weren't reporting it. And we know that's not, that's not right, that's not fair. But see, that's, that's what, when people, principals and teachers hear that and like, what else? My heart goes out to teachers. And I will continue to support their pay raises and bringing them up, them up to scale. But I will, I am very interested in a survey of some kind which brings up all these issues. We need to find out what's going on with teachers. When that president got up there the other night, Leanne White, I don't know if she's, she's still, they're back there, 
and said our teachers are having a rough time and could not compose herself and shared with that much compassion it's more than just pay folks there's some issues and we need to stop and listen to these folks and we need to do it soon because we're losing people we're losing I noticed on the chart we're losing our uh, uh, 12 to 30 year teachers about 10 a year now that that went up those are our, those are our, our mentor teachers we're losing yes the process has been done this is where we're at but we can't just drop it it's going to continue it's going to continue and there'll be more and more uh, complaints maybe and, and uh, possibly fixes in the schools thank you for for the long uh, presentation but I, I I worked hard on it <laughs> thank, thank you mr. You. cash uh, our next speaker is mr. Galbraith thank you madam chair uh, so I just I want to I want to say a thank you to everybody who spoke tonight and everybody who's come out and had um, had really good uh, really good sh exchange of ideas and sharing um, I want to I think the the complainants and and the and those who um, who took the time to to appeal and and for me for me it's never it's never about when when somebody comes up and has a um, it has an issue and Dan talked about the chain of command and, and really what we do as board members is is kind of guide them through um, through that process and and make sure that they get access along the way to the people who can um, who can do something about that um, you know in this case everything was um, everything was done correctly um, to Dan's other point it was it was a little bit it was a little bit later I think some there were some complaints made and it took a while to, to kind of figure out how um, for for everybody to, to figure out how to kind of point these people in the uh, say what you're really requesting is a um, is a reconsideration of the materials and so it it, it materialized um, I, I really think Casey and and the and all the educators on the um, and the PTO representative on the um, on the committee um, I mean you guys did did a lot, did a lot of work um, and and to me um, to me it validates the it validates the concerns um, and, and a lot of their concerns the the committee validated um, and they're they recognize the the kind of the immutable truth that we were not going to be able to um, to rip and replace the the curriculum um, but but I think you're recognize that the the curriculum is not perfect um, I there's there probably wasn't one out there that that was and we would have probably I think in going forward we're probably going to be looking at um, you know in in five years uh, we're probably going to really look at the look at the curriculum more uh, more stringently than we than we had before um, you know I think it's the it's the combination of the fact that this is um, that this is not just an ELA 
curriculum now it's um, it's it's social studies and it's science and it's arts all it's everything and I think that's uh, that I think that was part of the appeal to the to the teachers um, it's definitely I get it it's in, it's more interesting than just reading um, C spot run um, you know it's uh, it's it's bordering out the I think there there is a lot of um, what was what I've seen in the in the teachers manuals um, and again this is not a it's not the teachers doing anything this is the they're dealing with what they what they have um, but there's there's an agenda being pushed through um, through the through the curriculum um, I think we're doing the best that we can to make sure that our teachers and I, and I don't mean to say that our teachers are um, but the but if they did it as as written um, then they they may well they may well be um, but I had a had a really good conversation with um, with dr. Allen this weekend um, and and it made me it made me just think that um, that our teachers are being pulled in in a number of different directions. I appreciate uh, Mr. Golden and the effort to to kind of list some things that they can that they can take off their plate. But um, I have a daughter who's um, who's in college, um, wants to be a teacher, and um, and it's I mean as we as we talk about it and the things that she's seeing as she's kind of been the schools. Uh, I mean all the all, just all the things um, from. IEPs to paperwork to computers and I mean just um, differential instruction there's there's so many things um, but they've done a the the teachers have done the best that they can um, I think the committee has um, has done a a really good job in in addressing as much as they can without without ripping and replacing um, a lot of these things um, Again, it, it it just it just validates that there were legitimate concerns out there. Um, I don't think any of these parents were are trying to um, are trying to censor any books. They're not trying to ban things. They're just trying to get things that um, that are that are appropriate for their for their kids. Um, it is like I said, it's not a numbers thing because to it we can't make the false equivalency that. That just because more people haven't said anything or complained um, or opted their kids out, that they um, that they think that this is the the best thing for their kids. But um, I mean, that being said, I hope I hope that the that Dr. Allen and staff will continue to um, review these things to uh, over uh, over the course of time. If there if there are, um, I mean, my requests. Um, is that if there if there are books that um, that the publisher um, modifies and and comes up with an with an alternative text to to some of these to some of these texts that we're having to um, my word was tiptoe around um, things you know take out not not review pages and change words and have counselors available because because they think that the that the material is. Um, is heavier than the than the kids can can really handle uh, than many of the kids can really handle at that at their age that we continue to um, to make to make changes over time if we can uh, you know from for me personally um, I mean 
I appreciate the committee's work. I I don't think the the process isn't really such that that we have enough information to to wholesale make a change to um, to this um, to this recommendation. It's hard to it's hard to just pick a piece out of it and and change it. We if we were if we were going to get rid of a um, if we were going to choose to get rid of a text. Um, we don't really have a replacement for it and no curriculum per se to um, to attach to it. So um, I'm going to I'm I'm going to vote for the committee's um, recommendation and um, but I, I hope that we continue to um, continue to review these um, these as as the publisher makes more opportunities for uh, for changes. Thank you. Ms. Cleveland. Yes, I just have a um, real quick thing. And to with um, Mr. Cash, which you touched point on a survey, and I believe just so um, the public knows, we did talk about a survey for because of the teachers con the concern we have for teachers, and so we did talk about a survey. And so hopefully we'll be working on that at some point. And then Mr. Cash mentioned thirty some students at one school. How how many was that from one school? Uh, we have uh, 35 families who opted out uh, of, of some of the curriculum. And how many at, total? At, uh, 66 total, 35 were from one school. So we have 31 then that would disperse over 26 schools. The remaining 31 are over 26 elementary schools. Yeah, over 28. 28, okay, thank you. Mr. Brown? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I've got a few thoughts to share, uh, and I'm really, I'm really struggling with this decision um, for for a variety of reasons. Um, it, in my view, what's really gotten us here to this difficult situation is deficiencies in the policy in 4.403, and this got brought up. In my first full meeting in, in the uh, work session, I believe back in November, you know, questions about how we how this policy would play out. Um, we, it was decided that we really couldn't take up the policy until we got through with this process. So, I think we'll we'll take up some of these policy changes that can happen um, once we get past this. Um, and I don't and I struggle because I don't really want to blame the. Um, or, or put on the decision we have in front of us, the flaws that I see in the policy. And I, that's, so that's a little bit of a, of a challenge because I think it's the policy that got us here. One of the speakers made this point, I think Dan referenced this point, about this policy is really not written for the volume of, of complaints that came in. It's really, it really was written, or it seems to me to be written more for singular instances or more, as, as I think the speaker said, a more granular uh, situation not for the high volume of requests. Even though this really wasn't a large number relative to the number of parents and students, it's still a lot of information and a lot of complaints. Um, and and I, think, I think that it doesn't lend itself, this process didn't, didn't lend itself to that. And I think that's borne itself out in some of these uh, concerns we've heard from parents and the appellants. So, I mean, it's, re it's readily apparent to me we're not gonna make the change fundamental change to this process that we need to make until we change the policy. So I know we'll get to that at some point. Um, to address a couple of the things that were said earlier by speakers, uh, it's a shame to me that we have got this 
um, situation where we're pitting people against each other. If you're not for um, adopting this report as it is, if you're, then you're against um, teachers and you're against administrators and you're against public education. If you're not for removing wit and wisdom entirely, you're not for parents. And I know that's a, that's a very small minority of people who believe that, but you're hearing these extremes talk about these kinds of false dichotomies. And the reality is what Dan said very, very passionately was there's not a single one of us up here who don't support teachers and don't support principals. We all do. Um, and I think the idea that if you challenge the committee's report or if you don't think the committee's report went far enough um, or recommendation, I should say, went far enough that you're somehow against teachers and administrators. That's nothing could be further from the truth. So I think that's where my challenge comes in and my, and my dilemma is that you don't want to cast a vote that you think is going to rep misrepresent your views. It, and that's, that's the difficulty we find ourselves in is this has become so uh, polarized that that's where it's going to end up. Um, Teachers, I said this at the work session, teachers shouldn't be blamed for decisions that are made by someone else that they have to carry out. Whether this board makes the decision, whether the state legislature makes the decision, whether the federal government makes the decision, teachers shouldn't be blamed for any of that. And I think that's, that's what's happening. And parents, you know, have to think through this. They have to think through where, where does the fault lie? Who's responsible for the decisions? It certainly isn't the teachers. Um, so let's give the teachers a break uh, when it comes to that. On this final point I'll make on this is this idea of removing books. I mean, the, clearly the committee recommendation calls for removing one book. It calls for making adjustments to other uh, text and other lessons. Um, the notion that removing books or removing text is somehow censorship or should, should never happen, I mean, I think it should be we all agree it should be really, really rare, right? It should be very rare that that ever happens, but that doesn't mean it can never happen. Age appropriateness has to be considered. We should be always looking out for, is this something that should be in front of my fourth grader or my fifth grader? Um, and I think that's what a lot of the concern that I'm hearing from parents is about. Is, it, is this appropriate for someone that age? I won't say the book and I won't name which of my three children it is, but one of my kids said that one of these books is her favorite, one of her favorite books she's ever read. But when I read through the book, which I did this morning and last night, I see some things in there that I'm, I'm thinking, should a fifth grader or a fourth grader really be reading that? So, you know, I think that's where parents have to come into the, into the picture and say, kids may love something and they think, may think it's great. Is it really what's in, our, when they're in their best interest? And I think that's where, that's the, where the heart of these parents is coming from is, um, and I think we shouldn't minimize that, or we shouldn't um, see them as being, you know, on the on the fringe or being extreme for express, expressing those views. Um, I don't think the report, the recommendation, goes far enough. Um, I'm not sure how much further it should go, but I don't, I'm not sure it goes far enough. Uh, I'm, and we're, we're being asked to vote for the recommendation or against the recommendation as written. Uh, I'm going to vote against it, but I want, I want it to be clear that that in no way represents or reflects um, an, a, a lack of appreciation for the work that was done or the teachers or the administrators. 
I want that to be abundantly clear because there was an, an immense amount of work that went into this and I appreciate everyone who was part of it. Thank you. Mr. Welch. Thank you. Um, I'm going to respectfully disagree with some of the concepts being made or statements being made that the process was, was rushed through um, and also that it was always about age appropriateness. I think that was uh, certainly part of it, but I look back through the emails that we received, the uh, documentation. Josh, I know you weren't on the board at that time and received these emails, but there were a whole bunch there that this was also about um, CRT, a lot of that. And in fact, I would say that was a larger portion of it. In fact, that that was the driver and a lot of the age appropriateness stuff uh, came later after the fact. Um, well, I think there's a lot of new eyeballs tonight as we're kind of making the final decision on this. I think this is the first time as a board we've really discussed this at a monthly board meeting. So I, I, I just kind of like take a little bit of time to kind of go through the point of, of how we got here and, and frankly why I, I respectfully disagree that this was a rush process or some of the other things. Um, Mr. Gold, let me, let me start off with this, if, if I can, please. Does Williamson County Schools have a philosophy that any student should be ashamed of their ethnicity, their gender, or other situation of their birth? No, sir. Okay. Do Williamson County teachers teach that any student should be ashamed of their ethnicity, gender, or situation of birth? No, and we actually remind them of the opposite. Okay. Is there any indication in our students' work that we have an issue of students being shamed over their what ethnicity or gender that they are born with? I have not seen any from, from our student work. Okay. What would occur if a child's parents reported to their teacher or their principal that this was the case, that the student misunderstood the point of a text or a document and, and was starting to feel shame over that? How would that be handled? And, and I know every situation is unique and specifics, but generally speaking, uh, how do we do that? We would investigate it, mm -hmm. number, number one. And, uh, and how we investigate it would depend on the, the details of what they share. But that is inconsistent with our practice and inconsistent with state law. Okay, thank you. Um, the new curriculum adoption process, uh, when did that start? How far back? The adoption process has been in state law for a number of years. I don't know how many years, um, but uh, but the process of the state selection, given choices, going down to the to the local review, it's been, in, I believe, for decades. Several. Well, I'm sorry. That this specific curriculum oh. adoption process. I I, oh, I, oh. I was wasn't clear on that question. Okay. For for uh, for the, for this ELA selection? Yes, sir. It starts about um, a year or so. It starts in the school year prior prior to adoption. And Dr. Allen, I'm trying to remember the, uh, about the date it's the it started, the month it started prior to the uh, initiation of that in uh, fall of 2020. If you could answer that one fact. You're actually not. You know what, in fact, I'm going to say, oh. nope, never mind. 
It's a it's it's fall of 2019. But thank you. Fall of 2019. So fall of 2019. Okay. About about a about a school year before implementation. Okay. Okay. So 22 right now. So we're we're talking two and a half years or or so that that this process has been going to kind of get to this point right here. Yeah, we did. And then the if I recall, the State Board of Education. They're the ones who put together our policies and the standards, Tennessee state standards, that this is, this is what the curriculum will need to, to contain or, okay. And those, yes. those members of the Tennessee State Board of Education, those individuals were all appointed by Governors Haslam and or Governor Lee, correct? I believe that's the case. I'm not 100% sure on that. 2019, it, I guess, I guess it's possible not, but. Generally speaking, yes, uh, that would be the case. And then once the State Board of Education sets those policy standards, then the Tennessee Department of Education um, does the rubric and sort of evaluates the curriculums. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Now, we've heard this talking point repeatedly, and I know this has even been correcting the information. We heard it again tonight. But this talking point that wit and wisdom is a is a two-time failed uh, curriculum. We we'll talk about that a little bit. The if my memory is clear, every curriculum that exists out in the world if, if failed, if you will, if that's the word that we're going to use the the first round uh, because it wasn't specific to because it wasn't specific to specific enough to Tennessee that that the curriculum experts weren't writing exactly so there was not anything that was approved the very first round uh, Mr. Allen can Dr. Allen can confirm that yeah I, I will need to ask Dr. Allen to 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 speak to that I'll speak generally my recollection is that the state went through a process and then started over. Then, um, Dr. Allen, if you have any additional detail. That's what I was going to add. The state started a process, created rubrics, and then started the process over. So I think that's what we refer to if, if everything failed the first. We really pick it up, just to add to a point of that, we pick up the, the process um, once the list is provided to us, the list of approved curriculums at the state level that we are allowed to put in front of our teachers for approval. So we were not involved at that? It's, no, at that I, I realize, yes. It, I'm just saying that this talking point of two strikes against the curriculum, well, the first strike every curriculum out there had. There is not a, a curriculum that didn't have that based upon uh, how the, the Tennessee Department of Education set up that rubric. The, the second strike, if you will, uh, that was based upon it not having a phonics program only, correct? The, the actual material, the curriculum itself, was approved. It was just minus that phonics piece. Is that accurate? We needed a phonics piece or what they call foundational skills because you are correct. The Wit and Wisdom mm -hmm. reading program did not have a phonics piece for the youngest grades. And K, then the K state offered that phonics piece, though, for free. That added it in, if you will. Yes. Okay, so if I can make an analogy here, it's like we've directed the maintenance department for Williams County Schools to go out and find a, a work truck, and we've told them that it needs a hitch. 
and they find the perfect work truck, but it doesn't have a hitch, but the dealer says, I can add one on for free. I've got it right here. It meets all the criteria. Boom. And then calling that a failed work truck that they did not meet the standards. Is that a fair analogy? I'll let you speak to that. Uh, so fair enough. Ma'am. Ma'am. Who, who spoke, please? Please leave. Thank you. Please continue. Thank you. So uh, how many state-approved curriculums were there? I believe there was five or six. If, if memory yeah, and there were a number of pieces that, that addressed just a few grades. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to get a clear sure. answer to your question because there were, there were a number of pieces of curriculum that, that weren't comprehensive. My recollection off the top of my head is there were four selections that could cover um, all grade levels K through five. Right. I think there were four that we went with because it met our standards, yeah. but there were more than that yeah, initially, correct? Yes. Certainly. Um, and then when we had these four, we allowed a public review of the curriculum. It was put out there where anyone in the community could go and take a look at, at each of them as sort of that first step? That's right. Okay. And then the, the next step on that, I think, is that all of our teachers were, had a chance to kind of take the first crack at it, take a look at the options that we selected and come and tell us which ones that they preferred of those four. Our elementary ELA teachers did have that opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification the the teachers that would be teaching that material had the chance to, that is to correct. do that okay. and, and likewise at the older grades they looked they had other you know looked, looked at other um, curricula okay so I, I ask that because I think it's become this narrative of this is being forced upon the teachers unwillingly and well they had the chance to take a look at it and here's the chart that I recall from Dr. Allen's presentation on this that our K through 5 ELA teachers they picked wit and wisdom 65% out of the four options 3 to 1 over the next one which was wonders which was also the curriculum that we were already using at the time so instead of taking sort of the easy route of saying let's stick with what we already have and know and are familiar with they wanted wit and wisdom again 65 percent in that first round by three to one margin uh, over the others it was more uh, el was eight percent ckla was 5.6 percent and if i recall properly from the presentation on this the rationale for it was that we wanted a uh, more rigorous curriculum that wonders which we were using at the time needed too much supplemental material it was not pushing our kids hard enough it, as we have a, a, a high achieving school district and our parents demand that we push the kids uh, great degrees that all I know it's a mouthful but all all, all factual and accurate. So I, far I'm, and I'm confident that every teacher had their personal reasons, and so I don't want to speak to every reason, but Absolutely. your numbers are correct. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting at, that when the teachers were given the, the four options, they chose wit and wisdom in that first reading by 
65% by more than three to one uh, right there. And then the second round that we did was the adoption committee. And there we had a, a teacher and a parent representative from every single school, uh, every single K through five school that we had that were on that particular committee. Um, the, the teachers, I know that these were just not randomly selected, but there were some significant criteria for them to be on the committee. Can you just real quick remind me what that was for the teacher in order to be on the textbook adoption committee? You know, as I'm sitting here at this moment, I can't recall, so I do want to defer to either Dr. Royer or Dr. Allen if you can remember. I don't have the specifics okay. in front of me. It's years of experience. Yeah, we had some years. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and time, yeah, time, time in WCS as well. That's correct. Okay. And then the parents themselves, I, I recall from Dr. Oyer and Dr. Webb talking about their, their own days as principals and selecting parents to be on that committee that they would essentially try and pick the, the more engaged parents, or our super parents, if you will, uh, whether it was from the PTO or some other group or in some cases had a expertise on the subject matter. Um, I know one of the teachers chosen to be on the math textbook adoption uh, had an engineering degree from an Ivy League school. Uh, so a little, little bit of math involved in that. Uh, so that textbook adoption committee, uh, looking here at at the reports we got on that, uh, narrowed it down to two choices from that. The other ones put out, it was Wit and Wisdom and Wonders. And that adoption committee uh, chose Wit and Wisdom by 88%. Yes. And this was, a, again, a, a mix of teachers and parents on that. Um, right. And both of them chose it overwhelmingly. Our, our uh, parents were 70% wit and wisdom, and the teachers were 90-something uh, percent. I mean, I can't do the math in my head real quick, but it was, it was very high. It was overwhelmingly at that point. So in this case, uh, we went from 3 to 1 wit and wisdom against the next closest option when all of our teachers looked at it, down to the textbook adoption committee. And there it was, again, 8 to 1 that our teachers and parents chose wit and wisdom over the other curriculum options right there. That's going into the, the history of it at that point. So, I think the other thing, uh, and we weren't alone in this, I believe, what was it, 33 districts out of the 147 are, are using wit and wisdom? In That's my recollection, a little over 30, yes. Okay, so more than one out of five school districts in the state of Tennessee are using wit and wisdom currently. Yes. And if it didn't have the phonics that, uh, that we had to apply for, I, I'm gonna, in my opinion, I, I wonder if it would be even higher in that case, as we kind of came across, if we didn't have to go through the extra step. Um, Dr. Allen said it's, it's every state in the U.S. is using uh, wit and wisdom curriculum. There's about 167,000 schools across the country that are using this curriculum currently. And I think if we just did a quick, say it's 300 per school, that's about 50 million kids using a kind of a nice round number. So this is not an obscure curriculum uh, that we've, we've got here. Um, and as I said, it started in what, 
October 2019 that we went through that, that we, the state started that process. And then, check here real quick. And then May, June 2020, we approved it. That's right. Okay. So, that's where I'm going to, again, respectfully disagree that this was a rush process um, going through that. Uh, October 19th, not that the state started in October, I'm sorry, that the, uh, the principals submitted the nomination of their, their teacher uh, to serve on the textbook committee. That was just our process after the fact, kind of going through that. So a considerable amount of time, several steps of review that included the general public, all of our teachers, and then a subset of the committee who really put a lot of effort and time into going through this and picking it up. And so then we kind of come to, um, I don't want to add to this too, it's no part of this curriculum is, is mandatory. If there's any book, text that a parent is not comfortable with, they have the option of, of opting out. They don't challenge them on that. They don't have to give a reason. We don't have to uh, agree or disagree with the decision. It's, it's a parental right issue that we say, you know, if you're not comfortable with it, you can pull your child out of that. We do have that standard in policy, and it really covers all subject areas, but principals do have typically detailed conversations with parents so that they can get to the heart of the parent's concern and make sure they meet that concern. Right. And then, um, Sheila brought a great point. I think we've had 65 opt-outs. Um, about 35 of those are at one school. Our current numbers are 66. 60, oh, 66. 35 at one school. And then I think we've got, what, 12 schools that have zero opt-outs at all, correct? That's correct. Okay. And what are we, about 16,400 kids that's, in? That's about right. That ballpark? Uh, K through five. K through five. So, you know, take away 65, that's about 99.6% of those students are not opting out of the curriculum uh, at that point. So we're, we're talking about um, the 0.4% so far. And, and perhaps it's going to grow and everything, but, you know, we've been talking about this for several months and a lot of uh, marketing behind why this is, is bad. Um, So the request to eliminate the curriculum, uh, I believe that started around um, May, June, before the school year started, that we started getting those in, the emails. And the request, as I recall, I can go back and pull the emails. In fact, I have the emails right here, was that it wanted, uh, that uh, we were requested to skip the process. Um, this was, uh, here we go, Ms. Steenman, who is not a WCS parent or ever has been, but uh, was kind of driving a lot of this. Uh, I think she described the policy as a delaying tactic. Uh, I have it here in that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call a spade a spade these 4.403s are a stalling tactic. 
which was not. That was our policy that was established many years before Ms. Neiman even moved to the community. Um, we provided that information. We gave it, and we allowed anyone who wanted to to submit it. Uh, I think we got 40 reconsideration requests from 30, 40, reconsidera 40 reconsideration requests from 37 individuals. Um, 14 of those who had a student that was actually impacted by it. And then we went through a six-month process reviewing all of the material that was selected, the books, uh, per our policy, uh, everything else that way, and came to the decision that we have so far. Um, which, again, it, it's individuals do not need to agree with. We respect that right, and certainly different opinions, but we're, we're talking about uh, not accepting the decision of the committee or replacing books at that point. I, I think it is important to take a look at what were the actual numbers of complaints, what are the people who have opted out of the material, and, uh, you know, frankly, the um, appeals. The appeals, we've had nine appeals to it, again, out of 16,400 kids that are actually in the K through five. Uh, of those nine, I think four, you had said, are actually have children that read the curriculum. Is that correct? Yes. Now, our policy calls for any citizen to make the request. Okay, that's fine. Or allows for any citizen to make a request. Gotcha. And then of those requests, too, the teacher's manual, I know there was some challenges about that. The, the teacher's manual that was referenced that, it was not a Tennessee teacher's manual in that. Um, I would like to ask Dr. Oyer to speak to that um, uh, ba based on the, the detail of the conversations with some of the complainants. I think she's the appropriate one to answer that. Yes, sir. Thank you for the question. The original, pay, the original document that the committee received referenced Florida teacher editions pages. So an example, what we kind of discovered in, in looking at things um, was that they were about 20 to 30 pages off. We didn't know that originally. So it, there would be a specific complaint about a certain piece of a module or a certain page in a book. Um, and then the committee had to work through the Tennessee manuals because we don't have access to the Florida teacher manuals um, to figure out exactly what was being referenced in relationship to our the curriculum that we're using in WCS in Tennessee. Absolutely. So, and all the appeals, uh, or I'm sorry, not even the appeals, the, the request for curriculum consideration uh, from the 37 individuals that we got, um, I believe every single one of those referenced they were doing it on both on behalf of themselves and Moms for Liberty on the form. I'm trying to double check um, on every single one, Dr. Royer. My recollection is not every single one. Many of them included that. I don't have that exact number in front of me, um, but Moms for Liberty was consistently referenced, yes. Okay. It, upwards of 90% then. Again, I'd be uncomfortable to put a number on Fair it, enough. but. Fair enough to put it. The majority. In that way. Okay. So we had the group that was calling it CRT and then I know we read through the emails, the Ms. Steeman, who is head of the Moms for Liberty chapter here, who began it, 
admitted that she actually wrote the template that we saw being used again and again for that. Uh, I'm going to say it's, by my estimation, not yours, no, you're not comfortable, but I would say it's upwards of 80, 90 percent of the requests that we received all followed that exact template verbatim, even in some cases, uh, individuals uh, what appeared to be forgetting to sign their own name and putting an X because the template had an X that was received on it. Uh, I went to Moms for Liberty website and, you know, it, it's everyone has their own opinions and views and what it should be of what is and isn't appropriate for material and what textbooks should be used. And, you know, Moms for Liberty Group, they aren't just complaining about textbooks removed. They have a textbook that they do recommend. And I went to the website and I found it, and it's Making of America right here by Cleon Skousen. Uh, they link to it on Amazon where you can purchase the, the textbook. And so I went ahead and I purchased it uh, myself. Uh, so it's written by Skousen. Uh, if you Google him, he was a uh, big John Birch Society supporter. Uh, he thought that President Eisenhower was a, a communist agent, uh, that global bankers were, had a secret government and wrote an op-ed that uh, black individuals should not allowed to be clergy uh, in his church, uh, which was uh, president of the church, the head of the church, uh, came out and said, do not share or repeat that information, separated the church from Mr. Skousen. But anyway, this is the book uh, that Cleon Skousen wrote that Moms for Liberty on their website uh, advertised. They describe it as a helpful textbook. And I'd like to read a, a couple pieces from it, if I might. Do you have a point of order? I do. What is it, please? I mean, can we, is the Hold on. Go ahead. Is this in reference to the to the con reconsideration that we're that we're talking about? I just want to keep it on. Keep it on point. So we're we're going on like twenty something minutes, but well, with that said, we have allowed others to. I've been shut off before after I've been talking for two minutes and didn't pose a question. So I'm just asking this for a little. We have not. I understand that. Yeah, we've I've, we've allowed everybody to. You to can't have deny that I've been shut off by by much so less, and so there is a point of order being made. Mr. Galbraith, I believe what Ms. Osbrooks has said is that we've allowed people to talk at freely tonight at this particular meeting right. on this subject, and we haven't limited the, conver the comments. Having said that, board members, we've had some, some very long comments, and I'd like to ask you, um, if you could, to please draw your, be, think, think, be thoughtful about your con um, comments that you intend to make, and um, draw those to a conclusion if you've been speaking for a while. Draw. Uh, I'm going to conclude uh, right here. And, and so the point of this being is, is that um, every, nearly every reconsideration request that we've received came from 
the Moms for Liberty group, uh, certainly the head of it, emailed us and had a list of it and said, you know, represented that, that it was representative of the group. The appeals were very much the same. So uh, here's, you know, I think it's fair to sort of say, well, what is the curriculum and what is the textbooks that are recommended? So uh, that's going along with it. So again, this is uh, the Skousen book right here. Uh, just going to read a couple things. Uh, the book asks about the three-fifths compromise that made a, a slave 60% of a human or 60% of a property. It's, it's was this compromise demeaning to the slaves? And it's three-fifths compromise not demeaning to the slaves. That's highlighted uh, right there. Uh, other things about slavery in the book. It talks about families being sold as units. The tendency was to sell families as units if for no other reason than to keep the slaves contented. The gangs in transit were usually a cheerful lot, though the presence of a number of the more vicious types sometimes made it necessary for them all to go in chains. Again, this is a recommended book as a helpful material. Um, problems of supervision. Slavery did, slavery did not make white labor unrespectable, but merely inefficient. The slave had a deliberateness of motion which no amount of supervision could quicken. On the plantation standard of living, if the picket, I'm going to use the word black children for this. The, the actual word is a, a racial slur. So this is not a, a verbatim. I, I just don't want to say this. If the black children ran naked, it was generally from choice. And when the white boys had to put on shoes and go away to school, they were likely to envy the freedom of their colored playmates, the, the freedom of their colored playmates. On the treatment of slaves, the instructions of planters to overseers almost universally emphasized the care to be given to slaves, firmness without brutality, and justice unaccompanied by indulgence being emphasized. Mr. On selective breeding, the stories of systematic breeding of slaves must largely be discounted. Growth in population was almost universally left to unregulated nature. On cruel and compulsory labor, Excessive toil occurred only when the master or overseers were feeble-witted as well as brutal. And then within that same section, numerous observers of various shades of opinion on slavery agreed that brutality was no more common in the black belt than among free labor elsewhere, and that the slave owners were the worst victims of the system. Slave owners were the worst victims of the system, system being slavery itself. So that's, again, that's the, the helpful book that you can look on the Moms for Liberty website right now, and it's there and linked to on Amazon that you can purchase. The point of this all being that uh, there are various opinions on what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, but overwhelmingly, I think our parents have indicated that the curriculum that our teachers picked that they picked overwhelmingly, eight to one in the final committee vote, three to one in the initial vote, uh, and now 99.6% are using is very positive. So I, I am in position of accepting the recommendations of the committee along with our ability of individual parents to opt out of anything that they uh, deem inappropriate. Thank you. Ms. Durham. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Um, so I also just want to thank everybody for coming and offering your comments tonight. I always 
I usually change my opinion based on what I hear from people coming to speak. So I really appreciate that you guys take the time to do that. It's a long night for you. Um, and I didn't know really what I was going to vote tonight walking in. So definitely the comments you guys made and that um, my board members made and then conversations I've had with people um, shaped my decision. I am going to vote to support this tonight um, because I, I don't want to see countless more hours spent one on this particular thing um, because I do believe that a lot of time has passed, which would be one item I want to make sure we address is um, quicker resolution, very um, intentional um, nimbleness to address these things when they come up. I agree with lots of comments made around um, not grouping everything together and trying to um, address all of the issues, but taking them one at a time because they deserve to be heard one at a time. Um, I'm not going to go into my um, lengthy list of things I think we do need to focus on because I want to respect the time. So I'm going to do that at policy and I'm going to suggest that we address it through policy. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be looked at um, and I have a lot of opinions about what you know some of the comments were tonight. Um, agreement with some and disagreement with others but I appreciate everybody's work on this and um, will improve. That's all we can do is acknowledge that we've got some stuff to work on and commit to doing it better going forward. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Josh, hold on. Let me reset there. Let's see if, try again, please. Mm -mm. Just, you may have to borrow. Let's try one more time. Mm, just, don't press and let me reset. I think, okay, thank you. Very quick point of clarification. One of the things that I had seen in some of the emails we got um, over the last couple of months was reference to the Witten Wisdom not having as much time to be reviewed as some of the other curriculums. I know we, it was pointed out that the process started in November, I think, of 2019. Can you clarify, Jason or Dr. Allen, whether what Witten Wisdom was available in November of 2019 or whether it was made available a few months later? Just, just to clarify that point, because that's been brought up several times. Dr. Allen may have the dates off the top of his head, um, but there, there was a window of time where uh, we learned that other districts were considering it with the phonics component and we checked with the state and knew and learned that it was a possibility and introduced it to our teachers. I don't have the dates. Dr. Allen? I don't have the, the dates off the top of my head either. It was introduced, you just as you said, Mr. Golden, um, it was in front of uh, our community review. Um, I would, I would actually um, offer that our teachers had more time to review this curriculum than ones that I've been associated with or uh, would recall from years past because we actually, it lined up, the review for the teachers lined up with a professional development day that we had for our teachers. So they had all the curriculums in front of them for an entire day, which was not something that was typically available to them in the past. So yes, it did come on later, 
um, as to Mr. Golden's point that we were made aware that other districts were using it. So we, we, we felt it necessary to put it in front of our teachers as a choice, but then they were provided a full day to review all the materials. For, so, for, so my, for myself internally, I came to the conclusion that given the numbers and that Mr. Welch shared about the majority choosing this, right. I came to the conclusion for myself that they had appropriate time to review it. Okay. So, but is it, it just to try to validate that point that some of the folks have raised without diminishing the things you're saying that happened on the back end as far as the, the professional day and all of that, is it is it accurate that Witten Wisdom was, was not made available in November, was made available more like February, um, introduced to the to the list in in more like February is that is that accurate or not I don't believe there was that great of amount of time in between I would have to give I can get you the specific okay. dates I can get that to the board but I don't have that in front of me but it was it was in my mind more a matter of weeks rather than months that it wasn't available to, to everyone I think that's the point of where the, the, sure. the rush comment is coming from it's not so much that teachers didn't have an adequate time to look at it you know, on the professional development day, or the teachers didn't, in a majority vote, um, adopt it or, or recommend it. But I think that's where the rush comment is on the front end. It wasn't there when all the other options were made available. It came on at some later date. Thank, thank you for that. Uh, I can't speak for every teacher because you know they, they, you know, their thoughts reflect the scope. But what I do know is that a majority of the teachers did select it. And my thinking is that if they made a determination they didn't have insufficient time, don't select it. Mr. Wimberly. Madam Chair, I'd like to call the question. Mr. Mitchell is the only other speaker. I was going to do the same. Okay. <laughs> Since there are no other speakers, I think we can move to a vote. Okay, board members. Are we voting for the question or are we voting? No, since there are no other speakers, I think. The motion we'll was unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> is there a staff recommendation? Uh, we do recommend approval. Okay, so yes is approval of the committee recommendation and no is the opposite. Board members, please cast your votes. Oh, his mic. It's on. Let me reset. There you go. Your vote is eight yes, two no. Thank you, board members. This meeting is adjourned. <laughs>